Good evening. Uh, let's call to order the special council meeting workshop of January 31st, 2023. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the workshop, uh, remote participants will remain muted and will not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature and speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order of voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for any vote taken. The city council workshop is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by government code subdivision 54953E and resolution number 1089-21 reaffirmed by city council on January 10th, 2023. Council members have the option of participating in person or remote. Members of the public may participate in person online or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature online to request to speak start on in your telephone. Location and teleconference, teleconference workshop details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available, available to viewers accessing this workshop via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. First up is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Seven present, Vice Mayor Dean participating via teleconference. Thank you very much. Uh, our one item tonight is item 23-0027. A special council meeting workshop, Moffat Park specific plan community benefits prioritization workshop. Is there a staff report? There is. Can you hear me? Yes, Am I on? Oh, good. Okay. Good evening, council members and public. Um, we're here to present a presentation on the community benefits priorities for the Moffat Park specific plan, which the draft plan and draft EIR are out for public review. Next slide. So today's workshop is gonna start with some background on the plan itself and an outline for the community benefits presentation and what we're gonna be covering. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, the structure of the plan itself and this current city um, fees and the way that um, infrastructure is implemented. So next slide. We're gonna review the district improvements that are needed and described in the plan to meet the vision of an ecological innovation district. We're gonna review the current citywide fees and future fees for the plan area, review the development requirements and community benefits framework, and receive questions from the council and public and answer questions as well. Next slide. So this is just a graphic kind of explaining where we are in the process and how we've gotten here. We started with an existing conditions report and a strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities and threats analysis. We did um, several rounds of land use alternatives before the council. We met with council to select a preferred land use map and development intensity. We've been working on the policy development and concepts and, and implementation, and we've put that together and it's a draft plan that's out, as well as the draft EIR. Next slide. Next slide. So the um, summary of the specific plan process where we are as far as information that's in for the plan so far is a large bevy of technical reports, including air quality, acoustics um, assessment, greenhouse gas assessment, 
um, an urban ecology report, groundwater study impact analysis for economics, uh, market analysis, um, several different levels of review on the sea level um, rise adapt adaptation strategy, um, noise and vibration constraints, um, and many more, including um, currently working on draft studies for future fees for the plan area. Stakeholder engagement has included everybody, um, including property owners, local organizations and stakeholders, all the city de departments, um, our partners at um, Valley, VTA, Valley Transportation, um, Santa Clara Valley Water District, the multiple school districts, um, the South San Francisco Bay Shoreline Study Group, PG&E, and uh, many individual community members. So next slide. So just to remind everyone, um, there is a project website um, that describes um, the process and where we're going. It also includes all of the background materials and many videos of public workshops and meetings that we've had in the past. But the draft, most important, the draft plan and the draft EIR are on the website. The comment period for the draft environmental impact report ends at the end of day 5 p.m. February 10th. This was an extended 45-day review period because portion of the 45-day review period was during the holidays. And then we have a large um, group of meetings upcoming for more um, presentations and details on the plan, including meetings before ALUC, the Airport Land Use Commission, um, the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission, Housing and Human Services Commission, Sustainability Commission, Planning Commission, and back to City Council in April. Um, those group of meetings are all in March. I will just add a caveat that we have not received um, very many comments on the plan or the EIR, EIR yet, but I feel them brewing out there. They're coming. So um, these dates all depend on the level of comments we receive and how long it takes to respond to them. Next slide. So um, the vision statement for Moffat Park is ambitious. It is a big uplift for the plan area, and it's a, a real sea change. It's a, the vision is a Moffat Park is an integral part of Sunnyvale, is a well-connected ecological innovation district with diverse mix of uses that serve as a model of resilience, climate protection, equity, and economic opportunity. I'm sorry, closer. Okay, next slide. So we're going to talk at a kind of a high level what that vision um, results in as far as future features in the plan area. Next slide. So the general um, important elements of the future plan include uh, adding mixed use activity centers to the plan area. Those are the red areas with stars that are a combination of, in many cases, housing, office and services, retail, commercial spaces, um, as well as um, an integrated open space and urban ecology network connecting some of the existing features in the plan area and adding to them uh, integrated mobility and open space network connecting um, non-automobile travel to those open space network um, so that you have bicycle and pedestrian paths and ways for people to move around the plan area outside of, the, of typical roadways and a walkable block structure, um, specifically east of Matilda, having a more fine-grained block structure to make it more pedestrian-friendly. Next slide. So at a high level, the project description or the development program um, is a build-out of 32 million square feet of 
office space, 10 million of that is new, net new. 500,000 square feet of retail uses, about 442,000 net new square feet, 650,000 square feet of hospitality uses, about 400,000 of net new, 200,000 square feet of industrial uses, 75,000 net new, and all do 20,000 housing units. There's no housing in the area now. So this map, I know you've seen it before, and there's lots of details online about it, but just to give you an idea of all of the orange, yellow, and red um, uses are new uses to the plan area. Next slide. So at a high level, those uses are gonna demand um, a new level of improvement and infrastructure in the plan area. And then that includes retail and services for existing and new employees and future residents, um, a, a more robust uh, a park and open space network, um, eco-district features, including green infrastructure, stormwater improvements, biodiversity hubs, um, enhanced landscaping, native plants, um, better and greater urban canopy, tree canopy, um, a complete streets and mobility network and utilities and infrastructure to serve the new uses in the plan area. Next slide. So these, these needs for the plan area kind of fall into six main categories, open space and ecological improvements, mobility and infrastructure, community facilities, affordable housing, placemaking, and climate adaptation. So we're gonna focus on these six main categories. Next slide. So this slide is um, mostly, I wanted you to look at the map on this slide, is talking about how there is a future in the plan area with a robust open space and ecology network, which includes parks and open space, the ecological improvements I described. Next slide. And some of the key um, features and components to that um, are going to require for the parks and open space, land dedication, development and improvement, ongoing operations and maintenance. And for the ecological improvements, um, the improvement and installation of a network of hubs, patches, and corridors, um, an urban forest, native vegetation. Next slide. So the current requirements for the city um, for open space is a park dedication requirement for residential development only. The plant draft plan itself also includes um, new requirements, including site dedication for residential, which is an, or an existing requirement, um, a non-residential bonus FAR provided on site for designated locations where non-residential projects provide um, land dedication or open space for the public use park and open space improvements in the plan envision new circulation, um, robust materials and furnishings, a requirement of an urban canopy, landscape design and planting, and multi-use flex fields. Those are all in policies, guidelines, and standards of the plan. Um, just to be clear, all site dedication improvements count towards for residential, the required city current requirement, which is a park dedication, or they're allowed to pay it in lieu fee, council chooses, but for non-residential um, projects, those types of dedications would count towards community benefits. Next slide. So other community benefits for this type of use, the open space would include the ongoing, so dedication for non-residential projects or provision of open space for non-residential projects and the ongoing maintenance and operations for parks and open space and 
features in those um, spaces that might be influenced by community input. Next slide. So moving on to the key mobility and infrastructure um, components, um, the things that the plan area are gonna need um, based on its vision, our infrastructure that exceeds the standard project requirements for required mitigation, public access improvements, such as bridges over channels or freeways, other connections, underfunded improvements. So where the city has collective fees for improvements where there's a gap and needs additional funding, additional stormwater improvements, shared parking facilities, and uh, the future formation of a transportation management association or TMA. Next slide. The way that we currently approach meeting these mobility um, needs is currently have a transportation impact fee for north of 237 that the city collects for improvements. Um, and we require public sidewalks and, and bike paths according to our current plans. The specific plan adds to that um, a complete streets requirement and improvements for the new and existing streets in the plan area, including um, uh, new dedications and easements where the streets don't meet the current standards or aren't wide enough to provide the improvements desired. And additional um, Moffa Park specific plan TIF is currently being drafted that will address the new trips and impacts from just Moffat Park on intersections that are not included in the existing TIF. Next slide. So just to dive a little deeper for mobility, some of the potential district community benefits in the mobility and infrastructure category could be construction for transit lanes on Java, converting transit lanes on Caribbean, um, to uh, uh, non-automobile use, light rail station relocation in the future, bridges over the east and west channel, VTA bus shelters, bike and pet improvements, east channel trail segment improvements, shared parking facilities, and again, the gap between collected funds and intersection improvements that are needed. Next slide. Some of the key um, infrastructure and utility community Components that are not mobility, of course, are the water supply, sanitary sewer infrastructure improvements, water pollution control plant, and recycled water system, and the stormwater and flood management system. I talked a little bit about these already, and, and just to clarify, the city currently has citywide fees that's, that are collected in order to provide um, water treatment, water supply, water conveyance, sewer treatment, sewer conveyance. Um, the current plan has policies to provide an expanded recycled water system in the plan area, as well as to create a new fee to address um, water and sewer upgrades needed to serve Moffa Park in the plan area. Community facilities, next slide. Um, community facilities in the plan area include uh, mixed use, uh, community space and mixed use activity centers, such as a library or community center facilities and school site dedication for potential school sites in the plan area that could either be in park land or on residential. Um, we allow those types of uses in many of the districts. Next slide. So the way that the, uh, the city is approaching the need for the community facilities is in the plan, we had the provision of a community center or library use in the North Java and Crossman neighborhood. The provision of that um, center would be a community benefit. 
the identification of potential school locations co-located within open space, which is an ongoing effort to coordinate with school districts. Um, we allow for the transfer of development rights for school and community facilities for properties that have uh, um, that would have future schools and community facilities on them, and site dedication and improvements um, counting towards community benefit contributions. Um, potential district community benefits could also include um, public uses like schools and community centers, affordable housing beyond requirements, including special needs and workforce wayfinding improvements and public art beyond requirements. So next slide. Moving into affordable housing. Um, the, the four categories of affordable housing that would be potential community benefits in the plan area include a deeper level of affordability, greater quantity of affordable housing, specialized housing in the plan area for populations with a higher need, or potentially funding for the unhoused population. Next slide. And just to recap on the zoning standards for housing in the plan area, um, it's based on a form-based approach. There's no maximum as a way to incentivize um, providing the most amount of housing in the plan area. So it's, um, it's regulated by the size of the buildings. Um, there is a minimum in the primary residential areas, which are the activity centers and the MPR, and there's no bonus structure. Next slide. So some of the ways that we approach meeting the housing area, housing needs in the plan area are zoning standards, um, other incentives in the plan, including transfer development rights from housing sites, um, which um, helps potentially fund future housing, the phasing of housing relative to um, office, including in, in development agreements, um, including the policies of adaptive action to promote the balance of uses, which means as the council approves development agreements or sees projects that come through Moffat Park, and they feel like there's an imbalance, they could take adaptive action to require one or more uses to be uh, a primary use. Um, occlusionary housing programs, which city currently requires 15% for an occlusionary requirement for rental and ownership housing. The plan is in alignment with the current city policy. Um, there is also in the current city pol policy an alternative compliance option Council could consider a different organization of that inclusionary requirement at a higher level. Um, there's a housing mitigation fee for all non-residential development projects, and those funds are collected and go towards affordable housing projects and other citywide um, housing programs, including federal and um, state grants and housing element and housing strategy programs. Next slide. So the last items that um, are potentially future community benefits are wayfinding improvements and public art beyond current requirements. These are really important aspects of the plan because we really need to have a place there. There needs to be a sense of what Moffat Park is for people that visit and live there. So these could be important components to really creating the experience of Moffat Park. And then also we've heard um, on a couple of different forums how important Moffat, Moffat Park could be to the city's climate action um, plan and could include improvements to advance the cat city's cap goals and improvements that help build resilience and reduce potential impacts of sea level rise. Um, next slide. Next slide, sorry, one more. <laughs> so um, the way that the city currently funds um, 
many of these efforts is through impact um, or mitigation um, fees. And for right now, there's, as I described, for residential only, there's a park dedication or in-lieu fee. Um, affordable rental is exempt from that fee requirement and a 15% affordable requirement. Um, and I provide you the breakdown up there. And for non-residential only, there's a housing mitigation fee for net new square footage. And if for non-residential, there's um, an art public art requirement for private development. Next, next slide. Um, so for all uses, the city also collects school impact fees paid directly to school districts. Um, and there's a maximum set by the state and that money is used for future school, schools and school improvements. Um, the transportation impact fee, um, citywide as for net new trips and it's a special rate for north of 237 and um, the sense of place fee which is only for certain areas of the city not including Moffat Park and of course the water and sewer connection fees which pay for conveyance and treatment potential new fees next slide I kind of hit these already but we are working on an additional TIF for the Moffat Park specific plan um, we are working on um, finalizing a study for the future needed upgrades for the sewer and water conveyance system in the plan area. Those will be coming back to the council as part of the overall approval. And the community facilities fee is a citywide effort that is running along kind of concurrent to the plan and it'll apply to all new development and it'll collect funds for future city facilities as libraries, fire and police stations. Okay, next slide. Community benefits. So we're now going to just sort of describe how the plan um, leverages community benefits and what it means. So next, next slide. So the community benefits in the plan, plan area are considered voluntary. They're only for non-residential projects, and they're basically an incentive program, and they are um, discretionary, and they are uh, connected to the additional uh, granting of additional development rights. And as the um, project is receiving the additional development rights for additional office at greater FARs, it's creating an uplift in value of that project. That uplift is then um, what is helping fund the city's request for community benefits. So the base requirements for projects, as I've described previously, are development standards, inclusionary housing, impact fees, alternative mitigations, community, community benefit examples are exceeding the standard requirements, additional contributions to other needs, such as below market rate, commercial space, public facilities, district infrastructure, and housing. Next slide. So the development overview for office um, and R&D in the plan area, we have the existing building uh, redevelopment, development project redevelop existing floor area within a neighborhood. If they do not exceed the base FAR, there is no, they are not subject to benefit contributions. So if they're just existing building remodel, they don't pay any community benefits. If they're just building a new project to the base FAR of 35%, they're not subject to community benefits. If they ask to exceed the base FAR at the various rates that are allowed in the plan area, then um, they would request um, additional FAR and would be subject community benefits. And the FAR is allocated by a neighborhood so that there's an equal distribution along the neighborhood for different, um, for the office square footage, doesn't all end up on one side. 
Um, there's also a small project reserve that is a floating reserve that allows for smaller projects to tap in to the additional FAR. Um, all of these are subject to community benefits contribution. Next slide. So how do we um, come back to the council to have this discussion later about community benefits? Um, we've got this draft plan out, it's a specific plan. The specific plan is gonna require a site master plan. The site master plan um, will, I'm just gonna walk you through it here and I'll talk about it again. But the site master plan is basically a horizontal plan for an area of the plan area that shows what's happening on the ground, what new roads are going in, the new parcelization, the new infrastructure that's being asked for and the new uses as a comprehensive picture. They could turn this site master plan in with the vertical plan, what the buildings look like, how tall they're gonna be, the design, um, or they could just do the site master plan. Um, but basically the ask will be in the site master plan, the give and take, the development agreement will be designed around that and that'll come to council. And the council will then decide that the community benefits are aligned with their priorities. It meets the needs of the project. And then um, the project application will be reviewed like a normal application, the actual development of the buildings. Next slide. So as I described, the site master plan establishes the submittal requirements um, for the, we are establishing submittal requirements for the site master plan. It's a horizontal development plan. So you can see what they're asking for is intensity of land use and where the infrastructure and the new required um, improvements are gonna be, such as accessible streets, open space and infrastructure. It'll address phasing. It'll commit the developer to be developing a certain amount of housing or office in a certain order in a certain time frame, And it addresses their request, the development reserve, which reminding you it's just 10 million net new square feet. So there's a limitation at the overall reserve plus a limitation for the district that they are located in. And could be submitted in tandem with the, with the um, details of an actual vertical project. So you could see the project in, as a whole. Next slide. Um, so just to recap, a development bonus, um, development agreement is um, bonus FAR allocation, community benefits and phasing. I feel like I'm just beating this into the ground. So <laughs> let's, let's say it all again. Um, it's not an alternative path to change the specific plan. Um, and it is really intended to put together a, a package for the council to consider how this allocation is gonna translate into the needs of the plan area or what community benefits the council thinks are important. Next slide. Okay, and then community priorities. So this is sort of the meat of the discussion. Next slide going to go back to those six kind of buckets, if you will, open space and ecological improvements, mobility and infrastructure, community facilities, affordable housing, placemaking, climate adaptation. Next slide. So this is um, a staff recommendation for the community benefit um, framework, and it's, it's uh, three categories, tier one, tier two, tier, tier three. And what we've done is we've organized these um, six general concepts into these three tiers of importance. But this is, you know, purely just a recommendation. This is the meat of the discussion tonight. Um, in tier one, we added affordable housing units as in number, as opposed to greater affordability. 
We put the open um, space and ecology, um, and, you know, dedication, improvements, maintenance, um, long-term care of, because we think that's a super critical part of the framework of the plan. And of course, the mobility and infrastructure improvements are um, right behind the open space as far as needs for the plan area, moving people around, creating greater connection, um, uh, coming up with a funding gap for projects the city is already starting to fund. And then tier two, deeper affordability, meaning the units are more affordable. Um, it might be the same, just the same number of required units, um, community facilities, um, potentially a community benefit fund contribution. The developer provides funding for some citywide project or anything the city council is focused on at the moment. Climate adaptation and tier three housing for specific groups could be um, unhoused, it could be a certain population of the community um, and placemaking. I will say also to keep in mind that projects are multidimensional and they will probably have aspects of all three of these categories in differing amounts. Next slide. So we have a few questions for you and we can go back and forth between these two final slides if you wanna review them. But are there any, are there other community benefits to add to the framework that we missed? Um, are the community benefits in the correct tiers? And we'd like feedback on that uh, is a five-year review cycle, cycle desirable as the plan area develops and over time, these priorities will shift around as projects are completed and community benefits are received. You may wanna see this again in a regular interval so that you can um, reorder the priorities. Next slide. Okay, so that's the conclusion of the presentation. And I'll hand it back to the mayor. Thank you very much. And uh, first, I think we'll be going to my colleagues to see if we have questions from council. We'll have a chance later to have further discussion, but let's go to questions first. Uh, and please raise your digital hand if you have some. First is council member Dean. Thank you, Mayor, and um, thank you so much to the staff for the presentation, for the work. Uh, I do want to start just you know, apologizing to my colleagues. I couldn't be there in person. I'm feeling uh, very under the weather, and I think I've caught some kind of flu. So uh, thankfully, we're able to still zoom in and participate. Um, but my, my first question is, um, with potentially new fees that you talked about, um, especially new development fees, is there any sort of geographic ties inherent to them, or is that something that's going to be up for discussion later, uh, such as, you know, the benefits going back into Moffat Park or staying in the North Sunnyvale region? One more time. <laughs> if you could repeat your question. I, it oh. kind of got muddled at the end, the most important part. So. Sorry, uh, uh, thanks for asking again. Uh, basically, with the uh, the new potential development fees that you had discussed, um, is there any sort of, sort of geographic ties to them? Are the benefits of them tied to the Moffat Park area or the North Sunnyvale area in general, or is that something that'd be up for discussion later, or is that oh. something that's typically not done? No, they're they're sorry, they're very specific to the Moffat Park area. They are not um, North north of 237, they are directly related to the impacts of the development in Moffa Park that's being proposed 
in the description of the project. The, the impact fees, but other community benefits might be applicable elsewhere in the community. Yes. Uh, okay, could you give me examples of that? I'm assuming things like public infrastructure perhaps tied to parks or something like that, or is it different things? Well, I think ultimately it would be up to the city council. To, okay, I, I no, appreciate that. No, I need to be further away. Wow, that's really weird. She had to be close, I had to be far. Okay. Pipe <laughs> in, it's because both mics are on, I think. Okay, I'm still echoing, whoa. I never knew I had such a powerful voice. <laughs> but now I can see you all better. Um, now that I'm back here. Um, so it it would depend really if it's a if it's a financial contribution, um, then the, the council would look at the community benefits fund and determine how that, that funding would be spent throughout throughout the, the city. Um, it could be a community benefit, and I'm just picking something at random, which would to upgrade a particular fire station as an mm -hmm. example. Um, but it probably wouldn't be the Moffat Park one, which is the newest um, uh, facility that we have. So that just to give you sort of two different options that might be available. But then again, the community benefit might be to upgrade um, uh, the sewer system uh, for a four block area, even though it's only two blocks of the, of the plan. So um, that would obviously be very specific to Moffat Park. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. And towards saying, from my vantage point, it sounded the same even when you were closer or far. So uh, it, it must be only to the council chambers that this is happening. Uh, but uh, those decisions, do those happen as we go through the development agreements of each individual development? Or what would be the timeline of, or when would council be making those decisions of where fees like that would go if they're going to fire stations or something of the like? Well, the concept would be that staff and the developer um, through the city manager would negotiate the development agreement based on the goals of the plan. Um, and, and then to the extent there's um, some other concept that comes up during the conversation, um, you know, funding for, for the homeless, let's say, obviously we, we don't wanna pick a location for that as part of a development agreement, um, but the city council would ultimately be the approvers of a development agreement. It has to be adopted by ordinance. And so the city council would have an opportunity to um, respond on that. Okay, thank you. And um, for uh, the public art, there's a mention at the end of going uh, public art beyond current requirements. Um, do you have any ideas or more details to sketch it out as to how far beyond it that could look or, or would that be something also that happens during each uh, process of coming to that development agreement with staff and the developer? Yes, the latter. It would, it would really depend on the development and the project and what, what they might be proposing um, for, for their site. Okay, thank you. And then my last question is, uh, and I appreciate obviously staff directing us as to the feedback that they want. When it comes to the idea of review cycles and the five-year review cycle, what are the review cycle timelines, if any, for other specific plans that we have right now? We don't have any adopted review cycles. Okay. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Those are all my questions. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Next up is Councilmember Melton. Thank you, Mayor Klein. Staff, great job with the presentation. Michelle and Trudy, thank you for sending the um, 
oil stack out ahead of time, gave me a chance to sort of um, look through it a couple of times and orient myself, Michelle, in terms of like the six types of community benefits and that helped me understand um, the proposal that staff is making for council to consider tonight. I spent a bit of time um, looking at page 30. If the city clerk could bring that up, it's called potential new fees. And um, at the top, there's a fee. I kind of like the sound of where this is going. It's called the Moffat Park Specific Plan Infrastructure Upgrades for Sewer and Water Conveyance in the plan area. Can you tell me um, what is it that we mean in terms of sewer infrastructure upgrades? What does that look like? So um, we had our an engineer as part of the project team uh, analyze the impact of the new sewer and water needs of the development, net new development that Moffa Park would be um, uh, developing over the course of the life of the plan. And they identified every segment of pipe in the plan area um, widths and what the future widths would need to be. And then they did a linear square foot of what that costs. So we are now working with Public Works and ESD to determine what's the best way to capture those funds, how would it be applied. Um, we intend to have that ready for you when we come back in April, or and it actually will go out, you know, in the staff report in March. But the idea is that as development develops in Moffa Park, that's been identified as part of this project description, which is the project now, they would contribute in order to. Um, collect funds to replace those uh, that infrastructure or they would replace it and get a credit back as part of their development. Okay, thank you for that explanation. And um, what we are not talking about when we're talking about sewer infrastructure upgrades is the clean water project. We're not talking about the water pollution control plant just to be specific. Right. Yep, okay. And then I wanted to give a tip of the cap to staff. Um, I think my favorite policy that I've read so far in the public review draft of the Moffat Park specific plan is something that says um, all water conveyed to new residential built in the Moffat Park specific plan must be conveyed over pipes that are owned by the city of Sunnyvale or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I love that policy. I don't want to see it changed. And it's really important that we keep that. So since I see the word water conveyance here, I thought I'd say that out loud. Um, I think you may have just said it, Michelle, but it looks like we've got a couple of new documents or plans or fee implementation things that are not published today that will be published at some point in the future, but before council is asked to ratify the new Moffat Park specific plan. I would advocate that those get released sooner rather than later. What's your sense of the timing? So minimally, they have to come out 30 days before your uh, decision making, but we're trying to get them out as soon as the staff report would come out, which would be available for those in March for those long list of other hearing bodies. So early March. So we are we do really want to get um, that information out because it is a list of projects and it is does give a lot of specifics as to what would need to happen in the plan area um, infrastructure wise. So end of February, early March. Okay. Um... That's great. I'll, I'll just reiterate what I, yeah. I can only say is earlier is better than later. And so, so thank good. you for taking that into consideration. Um, then also on page 30, there's something I, I just wanted to ask for some clarification on. There's a bullet point here. It says um, community facilities fee and then parentheses citywide. What does the word citywide mean there? 
So that's a separate fee that's um, underway from finance. Citywide means the entire city. So all development would contribute to it citywide. It would be funds collected for the future development of city facilities for the entire city. So it's outside the Moffat Park process, but it is hot on the heels of Moffat Park so that it's going to, you know, it's going to be in place when Moffat Park starts to develop. I don't know if anybody else wants to speak to that fee because it's out of my purview. No, I did it. I'm, I'm feeling good. Okay, good. Um, so by by the way, Michelle, um, that sort of came up a little bit on Thursday during the council strategic workshop. Mm. So I'm feeling good about that. And I think just to reiterate what I heard you say, the the use of the word citywide in this context means citywide twice. It's collected citywide and it's for the benefit of the city citywide. Okay. Okay. That's very helpful clarification. Um just looking at my notes here real quick. I'm going to go to um, page 39, and I'm really looking forward to hearing um, comments from my colleagues, from the community about this um, community benefit framework, Michelle, that staff is proposing. The, the question that I have about it, and I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to confirm, the one on the left-hand column at the top called more affordable housing units, I think I'm tracking what that means. And the EIR that we have prepared sort of sets that EIR cap at 20,000 units. So even if we said more affordable housing units, you still have the EIR cap of 20,000 units. It's just how those would be split up might be altered by this program. Correct. You would just have more affordable units in that same bucket of units. So a greater percentage of them would be affordable. That's great. Yeah. Um, also just say, Trudy, when you... Um, uh, sent out an email to council launching the public review draft of the um, plan and the EIR. I think there's a concept that the council members might have an opportunity for a private briefing with staff. I'm saving many, many, many questions that I'm um, annotating down as I go through the draft. It's a great document. Um, kudos are um, deserved to staff for um, a really fantastic job, and I'm looking forward to um, sort of an offline conversation um, just to get the um, deeper understanding. Thank you very much. Thank you, Council Member. Next up is Council Member Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> Excellent presentation. Thank you very much. Um, actually, um, one second, sorry. I want to go to the slide 39. Uh, community benefit framework. <clears throat> Council member Melton talked about this. Trying to understand tier one, tier two, and tier three concept here is tier one takes higher precedence than tier two and three, or how does that work? Well, it's a it's a good question, and I'm others might want to chime in on this one, but you know there it's kind of like a waiting. So if you had a project come in that all these projects are require a development agreement and you're going to be negotiating with a developer and you really want something from tier one well maybe it's worth a little bit more in the world of the development agreement than a tier two but again all these projects are probably have more than one component um but i don't know if, if the city manager wants to weigh in on how that's done in a development agreement as far as the weighting of an item I mean, typically we'd look at um, sort of the, the value or the cost to produce that item. 
so um, things that are more expensive for the developer to deliver to the city as a community benefit um, have to be taken into consideration of how many benefits we expect to get. And there's a certain value of the entitlements of the added office square footage they can build um, that's being potentially granted to them or not, you're not required to for office. Um, and in exchange for that, that the city gets value back. So we look at both the value created and the value delivered from developers. And I think these tiers help us organize um, uh, priorities, but they, you know, the dollar value has to be the more specific about the specific component they have to deliver as part of their project. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so in that, continuing on that, under tier two, you have climate adaption. How do you, how do you assign value to that? Just out of curiosity. Um, I'll make up an example, but it, it might be um, exceeding the electric vehicle chargers that are required on their project. They could put in more, and there's a cost to that. And I think there would be a value for uh, climate adaptation to have promote more electric vehicles. So we would look at if that's something that we wanted and the developer was willing to install, we'd look at the, the cost to put that in as part of the okay. value created by that. Okay, thank you. Because somewhere earlier in the presentation, I saw sea level uh, raise uh, option sustainability. So that would be a higher cost, I would think, right? It would fall under tier one. Um, the the um, the tiers aren't the amount of cost. The tiers are things that we want the most. Okay. You know, the cost of any individual item that we would put in a development agreement would be set, assessed individually. Okay. But this tier structure is a way for the council to weigh in and communicate to the staff who are at a negotiating table what's most important to you. And the way we looked at it in putting this draft together is, What's more important? What's most important to realize the vision for Moffat Park of an eco innovation district? Thank you very much. If I could also add about um, climate adaptation, there there will still be minimum standards that all development will have to be um, uh, subject to the reach codes, for example, and and some of the those related activities. Um, Building your building out of the floodplain, that's kind of an important aspect. So yeah, there are there will be several other things that they'll have to do. It's just a matter of course. Right. But those are building standards, right? They have to comp comply. Correct. Yes. So uh, Mr. Mayor, I have a other series of questions. Should I ask them now or uh, should I wait go, for go others? right ahead if there are questions? Yeah. So uh, before this meeting. I was in another uh, st uh, meeting, which was a study session on feasibility of uh, building a new high school by, it was uh, organized by Fremont Union High School District. One of the things they talked about, two important things came out of that. The site selection in the Moffat Park area has got a very, very fine uh, space considering the air aircraft yeah, uh, uh, aircraft options, and then the sea, uh, the bay, and then the uh, freeway, and all those things. So, if we are considering a 
high school in that area. We may have want to talk to uh, Fremont Union High School District and then uh, finalize that plan because, because that area seems to be very, very limiting uh, as such. And then they also said that it may take six to 10 years <laughs> to even after site selection. So that was very, very interesting there. And then on this community benefit, I would like to see the, since it takes six to 10 years, are we looking at other options such as shuttle service for uh, students to come from Moffett Park to Fremont High because Fremont High will be the nearest high school for these students? So there's, I, I, just, I forgot to introduce the um, consultant team that's actually on the Zoom link. So I'll, I'll be able to call on any of them if we need their help. It, it might be good to have... Um, the Christy Weiss from DJP Associates, who's our lead consultant for the DEIR, just give a five-second description of what the DEIR, what the what the environmental review and CEQA requirements are for the plan regarding schools, mm -hmm. and how that's different than a community benefit, which would be potentially a public facility or school site, because they are really two separate processes. Um, and just to just as a high level, we have spoken to Fremont High School um, a lot, engaged with them a lot, and they've been really um, great active partners in this process. So I want to make sure that everybody knows we've talked to all the school districts okay. and we've had lots of conversations and and there's a lot of community interest in a North Sunnyvale High School, which is important. But um, if if I don't know how to do this since I haven't been here before, but if we could have Christy be able to speak to this item, I think it would be great to just spend a minute on what the process is so far with the environment with Moffat Park and its environmental impact report draft, and then we can answer your question. Okay. Hi, this is Christy. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Oh, yay. Yes. If okay. You can speak a little I'm here. louder. I think you'll be a good. little louder. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. Um, thanks, Michelle. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Christy Weiss. I'm with David J. Paris and Associates, and we um, assisted the city in preparing the draft EIR for this process. So um, just to continue what Michelle was explaining, um, for the purposes of the EIR, it's really just focused on the environmental impacts of the project. So what the EIR does is um, assess whether the need to construct new or expanded school facilities will result in environmental impacts. That's the purpose of the California Environmental Quality Act is to disclose the environmental impacts or implications that might occur with a, a project. So in the draft EIR in section 3.15 in public services, there's a discussion about the existing school facilities and the um, capacity of those schools and the current enrollment. And in meeting with the school districts and um, they provided us with data about student generation rates, we um, projected how many students would be generated from the implementation of the specific plan, which is gonna take till 2040. So, you know, the implementation of the plan is gonna occur over a number of years. And so the students that are estimated in the draft EIR is gonna happen at will build out, not right away, because it will take time to build the 20,000 units and for those students to be realized. But we took that information and um, compared it with the 
best information we had at hand, which is um, the information about the existing school facilities, their capacity and enrollment. And the analysis showed that there would be um, more students generated than there is current capacity at the local schools. And so through, um, per state law to mitigate that impact on schools is the payment of the school impact fee. So that's how, you know, the CEQA is limited that way and the state law has limited that the, the mitigation for um, impacting schools is the payment of the school impact fee. And so with this impact fee, the district uses it to um, construct new or expanded school facilities. So short answer is the EIR really focuses on the environmental impacts of constructing new or expanded schools. And that's disclosed um, in section 3.15, the EIR. Um, so with that, that's how the, the CEQA addresses that impact of future development from off a park, which is separate from the community really needing a North or feeling like they need a North, uh, um, a North Sunnyvale High School, which is why we put this high school site in the community benefits bucket. Because if a developer could provide a high school site or a, a school site, that would be a big community benefit in the interest of the community. Okay, got it. In the in the meantime, can the shuttle be considered as a community benefit? Uh, yeah, um, potentially. Although that's really a conversation with the school districts themselves about what sort of transportation um, their students need and what they're comfortable with. So we that anything is possible, right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I will also note that part of our discussion with the BTA around Moffa Park has really led to communicating to them some of the things we heard from Sunnyvale in general. And this was one of the topics that we spent a lot of time talking to BTA about as they do their future planning for routes is really looking to serve the Sunnyvale high school population because we've heard a lot from the community about the difficulty in getting to Sunnyvale uh, Fremont High School. So thank you very much. One one other question uh, is uh, <clears throat> a play area for multi sports, uh, youth sports, part of the community benefit or open space uh, requirement, or how does that work? So the requirements in the plan for open space are only um, applicable to residential projects, okay. but there are um, policies and. Um, design guidelines in the plan that direct development to provide those types of facilities. Now, if a developer um, provided um, an open space that was not a residential developer, that would be toward going towards the community benefits. And we've at, we've put in the plan what would be expected to be in that um, open space area, such as play fields. Play fields. Yeah. Okay, those are my questions for now. Thank you very much. Thank you, council member. Next up is council member Sell. Hi staff. Um, I just look at all the Moffat Park planning. It's just wonderful. All the thought and care that you put into it in the future thinking. So impressed with this plan. So thank you. I have a few questions. I know um, the staff has been having many discussions with the school districts. When I look at the plan, I um, have there been sites 
which will be school areas that have been designated yet? Or is that still somewhere in your discussions with the school district? So um, what the plan has identified are appropriate places for a future school site because the school site um, can't be required by the plan because mm -hmm. the way that it meets the future school population is through the school fees. But we have identified areas where it would be appropriate and could be planned for. And that, you know, one of those is in the open space area and um, at the activity node on the east side of the plan. And it would be co located with a park. Okay. So the concept is there, but um, it needs to be part of a larger community benefit discussion with a developer. Mm -hmm. And the developer in that particular area at the time of the discussion was interested. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, would it be appropriate to, like, when I skim through the documents to, um, on some maps to identify where might be some potential school areas, just probably because many parents and people might be interested in knowing that. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but that would be useful, I think. Because what I think is, when I think of Columbia Middle School, um, Columbia Middle School is a school, but it's also adjacent to a, a community center. And that's a gathering place for the community. And so sometimes these community centers are a school, but when it's, I mean, a school next to a community center has like a dual purpose and it brings the community together. So on all these plans, it's so well thought out and future visioning. I was just thinking that sometimes that um, synergy between schools and community um, activity centers is, might be something that the community might appreciate and then they could think about it and think if it makes sense and give input accordingly. Um, if I, I just okay. yeah. give you a comment, something to think about is that um, we really have to be careful about um, showing a precise site. Mm -hmm. um, having policy around locating schools near open space, which is how we do it in the rest of the city that um, um, it, almost all of the schools have, uh, the public schools have uh, a park adjacent, or we use their land at parts of the of the week when, when the school's not in session. Um, but we we would have to be very careful about showing public land on, on private property if, if we don't already um, have control of that. So the city could accept the open space and hold on to it until such time is that there's sufficient population for a school district to want to open a school. Okay. Um, and um, I don't know, maybe more clearly stated in words, that would be, would that be? I think good? policy around encourage location okay. um, near community centers, open space. Um, I, I think we're, we probably have something like that already. I'm just not recalling where that is. Okay. Because when I look at your um, tiers, I would that tier be the open space tier where that could be school dedication? Is that like tier one has open space and that open space could be open space or it could be? It could be a school in the yeah. future. It would really depend on where that, which, because we don't know the order of development. We yeah. don't know how much, um, how quickly the residential is going to develop. So day one, you're not, you know, you're not likely to have sufficient student population to warrant an additional school. 
Yeah. So but five, but five, it, 10 yeah. years down the road, if you've, if you've um, uh, acquired that land, then, then you can have a conversation with the school districts about what's a good site. Yeah. So I don't know if it's appropriate, but some wording that might describe what you just said related to that open space. You know, could be possibility um, and something to consider. Um, the other thing I've seen in other cities when they um, talk about community benefits is they have an open house and they have a community come and look at the possibilities and take surveys. It's, is that like planned in the future coming months where there might be an open house, people come look at the, and then take surveys and, you know, look at visioning and, you know, exercises. I, I was just wondering. Um, well, we haven't done that in other, other development agreements. Um, I, I think when it comes time for council to um, consider what development, uh, how, how to um, utilize community benefit funding, um, that's a potential time for the council to get community um, input on the, on the priorities. Um, but based on where a site is located and what kind of development they're doing it, that might sort of suggest a different package of community benefits um, based on, is it near a channel? <laughs> is, it, is it got a new street that's needed? There might just be so many things that um, may, might gravitate um, a particular development towards a particular style of community development. And then having um, a larger community um, exercise on that might get people's expectations that they can ask for something that's not reasonable or uh, appropriate at that location. Okay. So just a caution, not saying it couldn't be so done. So maybe like you'd be developing this certain section of Moffat Park and then maybe the neighborhood people, might it might be good to have an open house. And if, if they're there, yeah. <laughs> the first few projects, there won't be anyone there yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I will, I'll just, I'll just also, you know, we've had, uh, I've gotten, uh, received a lot of community input on the project so far. We did have a public workshop on, on January 17th, and we did get a lot of input from individuals from, um, on what, what they would desire in the plan area. And just going back to your question about how would a school be in one of these tiers, I would say if you are interested in making a school site dedicated to the city as a priority, I would call it a community facility with a school site around it um, to be really clear that that's what you're talking about. Okay, thank you. And um, sometimes there's different age groups that um, ha have different needs, such as um, young kids and families, they might when we talk about these affordable housings, we're thinking of small units, but sometimes you have like families and they're just starting out. So they might need three rooms, but they still need it to be affordable. So when we say affordable, are we also thinking affordable for families and these kind of things? Um, yes, the way our affordable housing programs work is that the affordable units need to be representative of the entire size of units in a project. So a project that has 30%, 33 and a third percent, uh, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, then that's how we break up the affordability um, units. They have to have the same proportion of one, two and three bedroom. Okay, that's great. 
Um, and when we have like retail, it's probably hard for um, retail businesses to open up. So is there any such thing as, can you um, have uh, rent stabilization as a community benefit so that uh, retail um, can open up, but they would, the rents would be stabilized so that they could um, have a small business and generate small revenue and not be worried about uh, accelerated rent increases. That, yeah, that, possible. yeah, that could be, uh, yeah, you could, you could have a below market rate or economic um, public benefit where you have uh, a developer who, in their development agreement, um, provides affordable rental for retail. Could be a component. And then sometimes when families are starting out, they want to be able to have home ownership of like a starter home. So do you envision those kind of areas in Moffitt Park? Like, I know we have affordable housing. And when I think of affordable housing, I think of rentals. Do we think of affordable housing as starter homes so people can start? Um, yeah, we, we require below market rate units for both ownership and rental development. So on the on the ownership, um, it's it's the same. It's fifteen percent of the units that was recently increased. I um, mean, it's still proportional. Um, it, when you say starter home, though, it's not likely to be like the homes in your neighborhood, right? It, it, it would be like a condo or a yeah, townhome. Absolutely, starting will, out. But yeah, you know, able to save up and, and absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it. it just to be clear, the form and the buildings in the plan area probably won't won't will probably all be um, multi-level. So typically, a townhome might just be it's it might be multi-story, but not in a stacked building. So a condo could be potential. Um, probably not too many townhomes in the plan area. Yeah, it can be a little more intense than townhome. So uh, in terms of your priority, that would be under affordable homes. That would be in part of that. Or um. That's not really part of the priorities because that's already a standard requirement. 15% of for sale units need, need to be um, deed restricted, affordable to moderate income households, make, making 80% to 120% of area median, median income. And then the, the price of the house depends on the number of bedrooms. Um, and then the same thing for the rental, it, it needs to be affordable to 70% or 50% of, of area meeting incomes, I think even lower for the, for the very low income units. So the, the rents are proportional to the area meeting median incomes and the number of bedrooms and the number of bedrooms is um, indicative of the size of the household. Okay. okay, I think that's all my question. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. Next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you very much. And great presentation. A lot of new information, things to think about. And it's always just very exciting to continue on the process. I can see it forming in my head and the vision's becoming much clearer. And that in itself is quite exciting. So I have a, I have a couple of questions, maybe more than a couple, but I'll try to be quick. Um, so does do the design and development standards uh, include bird safe glass and dark sky? And how are we, how do those design standards that we're thinking of putting forward address 
maybe uh, environmental advocates will have concerns over uh, protection for the wildlife and, and other things like that. Um, yes, it does. I also have um, the um, Chris Sensenig here from Rabin Associates. Um, if we want to get into the details um, to talk more and more about the policy, I don't know, Chris, if you could just talk about it for a minute. But, well, before Chris talks, yeah. the, so there's nothing associated with the community benefits per se about that. So just kind of remembering that that's what we're hoping to get the feedback on is the community benefits component. Um, but knowing that the council members have other questions about the plan, um, I just kind of want us to be aware of that. Sure. And, and I, I guess I should have included my question then. Um, when we have uh, in tier one, we have ecology. So I was wondering if those requirements would be included, but I'm hearing now. Well, they, they're already included in the plan, okay. so they wouldn't need, those specific things wouldn't need to be a community benefit because they're a standard. Awesome. Okay. That, that clarifies that for me. And, uh, and we can go into more detail uh, offline or in another session about, about the specifics of those um, design requirements. So then we have uh, the ongoing maintenance of the parks and open space uh, as a community benefit. So that to me indicates that that's not currently part of the requirements. So like saying, uh, you know, we build uh, or they, they build a public sidewalk, we would be required if that's not a community benefit to take care of that ongoing maintenance. Uh, so speaking specifically about parks and open space, the majority of our parks are public parks and the city maintains them. Um, we have um, in the last decade or two uh, started accepting um, and giving partial credit for privately owned land that is publicly accessible park. And then the benefit to the city is that um, the, the privately owned property is then maintained by the underlying property owner. So that's what the notion is here is that there could be more open space that's um, public park, but not publicly owned, um, just publicly accessible. And so the benefit to the city is uh, less expense on operations and maintenance. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. And that clarifies that part, the privately open public space. And that would obviously be, um, that's just in, going above and beyond what we already have planned in that we will take care of um, as part of our budget. Okay, um, and then what, interse like, what intersections are not included in the TIF right now and how far uh, would that traffic mitigation go if that were to be part of the development pack or the community benefits package? Like, would be would they all be around Moffitt Park? Or are we talking like that would also be farther away? Or where would we identify that radius of um, of benefit? So it's it's actually um, not just a geography, but it's really specific intersections based on the current in, uh, infrastructure at those intersections and how they're performing now with existing development. So I will say that um, some of them are going in and out of the plan area and, and some of those intersections are in the plan area. Okay, okay. So this would be outside of the plan area around the periphery of the plan area. Some of them. Some of them, okay. Um, and, and depending on how much community benefit, like where we put that into tiers would require exactly how extensive that would be. So the plan is to adopt a fee for the, a new fee from off the park that would address the impacts of that traffic to those intersections. For a community benefit, it would be improvements that would go beyond that, that TIF, that new TIF. Okay. And the uh, transportation impact fees are not just for intersection improvements. It can be used for other things such as extending sidewalks or enhancing um, bus shelters, which is what we've, we've, we've done in the past. 
Okay, and would bike lanes be included? In yeah, absolutely. That? Okay, okay, great. Um, that answers that. And uh, so what climate, so we have the climate mitigation piece in there with the community benefits. Uh, exactly what is, what do we still need to fund in there? So essentially like what's not included in the requirements that we would have to figure out the money for if it was not a community benefit. So in the requirements, um, you know, there's a set of standards that require stormwater retention. We have, we do have identified in the plan area um, areas where we'd want to see um, bio hubs and other ecological improvements. And although those areas are required in the plan area, the development of those improvements could be a community benefit if it's not part of a residential dedication requirement, which most of the plan area, those areas are identified in the areas that are not. Okay, that, that really, that helps me get, get a more full picture of what that community benefit would look like. Cause I, when I think about these things, I like to think in my mind or imagine what does that look like and what is the impact? So, so that, spe that specificity is helpful. And now I kind of wanna get into um, the housing affordability in schools. Cause I think those two things might be very closely related or more closely related than I've heard so far. Um, but first is the difference between uh, affordable, like increasing the number of affordable units versus increasing the, the depth of affordability. So if we were to go with increasing the depth of affordability, so say having more very low income units than maybe moderate or low, um, would we have few, that would be a few, that would be if we have fewer affordable units than we would, would we just expand it, right? It might be the same number of units, but rather than the current 5% low, excuse me, 5% very low and 10% low, if it's a rental project, maybe they want to do 10% very low and 5% low, still the same number, but um, more of the units are affordable to um, households with less income. Okay. And then the difference would be if we just increase the level, it would be more than that. The, the so the, the it, in the tier one, we're suggesting it's instead of 15%, 17, 18, 20, hey, let's go for 50. Why not? Let's, let's plan big. Um, so that would be the difference. The number of units versus the affordability levels of the, of the 15%. But it's not to say that somebody wouldn't um, offer to um, pair those up. And, and but that would most likely be a, a, a development that had mixed of residential and office. Okay, and, and otherwise right, we we want them to build the residential. Yeah, so you mean and we haven't decided what the breakdown or the ratio is between um, on-site affordable and standalone affordable buildings. So that's that in our current. Uh, regulations that's up to the council. So um, if if a residential developer wanted to propose alternative compliance with the uh, with the um, affordable housing requirements, um, that would have to come to city council. For okay. Yeah, I, I just bring that up because that's something I'm going to think about it as we think about that ratio and how uh, this affordable the affordable units actually get built, uh, right? So because there are drawbacks and and, better, and uh, pros and cons to each um, option, and I think about that a lot. Um, and then. I was thinking, so do we know, and this might be a question for a future study, a demography study, or as we consider the school issue and the, affordable, uh, the affordability levels, is how many students do different levels of affordability generate? So are there more students that would be generated if we increase the affordable 
level. And I say that because there's an interesting article in EdSource. Uh, it's called uh, California's Enrollment Roller Coaster, which shows that you get higher enrollment more inland and we're having kind of a, a shift out of the coastal cities and increasing enrollment um, in the middle of the state because it's so unaffordable on the coast level. So I was thinking if we do have more affordable units, does that increase uh, the number of students? Yeah, we need to well, actually, I, I, it, we use a different generation rate for um, affordable, for the number of, for the affordable units that are calculated. And if you want Christy to talk about it a little bit more, that is part of the standard study when we look at student generation rates is that coming up with a different generation rate for affordable units than standard units. Yeah. And then unit sizes will obviously affect that as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit okay, about that. Okay, so she's standing by. Christy, if you could talk a little bit about how those two, the different student generation rates relate to affordability, that'd be really helpful. Sure, there. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yes, we yes. can. Yep. Okay, great. Um, Hi, Mayor and Council Members. It's Christy again. So in the draft EIR, when we were coordinating with the school district, they provided separate student generation rates between market rate housing and below market rate housing. So we used those two different rates when we were estimating the number of students that would be generated from the project. And um, those rates are based on um, the school district studies and their data. And so uh, typically, let's say for, um, Santa Clara Unified School District, and this is outlined in the draft EIR, that the market rate, student generation rate is, um, sorry, I just had my finger there. <laughs> okay, is, sorry, for below market rate, it's 0.56, and then um, market rate is 0 0.03 if I'm reading that correctly. Um, so we did use different student generation rates between market rate and below market rate, and those were provided to us by the school districts. Yeah, that's really helpful. And that to me feels like a kind of significant change there. So depending on how much we increase the affordability, just number of units, uh, specifically with the number of units, less so with the depth of affordability is uh, kind of how I will start to think about that school and how necessary it is. And also as um, council member Schmidt-Avossen brought up uh, the idea of perhaps if there's not enough uh, students to warrant a school in that case to go ahead and think about transit, but that can be done later. Um, and so that kind of brings me to answering your questions, uh, which is um, how often we should review the community benefits. And since we don't have uh, an example, and I was grateful for that question of uh, current review periods, I was wondering, given we have a lot of TPD, we're working with the school district, we're looking at other um, other variables there to different uh, parts of this plan, would it be more, I'm thinking if it would be more helpful to visit this every year or 18 months for the next five years and then go uh, take it to every five years after that? Or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, it's hard to know in advance what you don't know. Um, I, I think it's going to be several years before you, you really have to get to a point of saying, this is the rate that changes is happening. Um, this is, these are the issues we need to um, look at. I, I think statistics about what has been completed, what has been built, um, absolutely providing that on an annual basis um, can be helpful, but looking at the priorities, um, 
you might want to wait and see what you're getting um, uh, offered and, and what's been accepted. Um, and, and I think it's likely to be five years before you really have to then look at it the first time um, and that you can always change that review cycle. It's not part of the, of the, of the element. It's more of a council policy. Okay. In that case, uh, with that process uh, answer I got, um, I would be comfortable uh, with five years for now. And if we see growth and we need to come revisit it, I'm very open to changing that on the fly as long as it's flexible. Um, and yeah, so I talked about the tiers a little bit. I'm, I'm After hearing your answers at this point, I wanna hear public comment before I make a final there. But right now I'm feeling comfortable with the tiers. I look forward to hearing from the public on that, but that's where I'm at right now. But that's all I got. Thank you so much. Thank you, Councilmember Cisneros. Next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, and thank you for an excellent presentation. Um, so one concern I have, I think this is actually going to be a very critical infrastructure component to the success of Moffat, Moffat Park, is the future Mary overpass. And, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, the extent to which, you know, the TIF or possibly other community benefits could be used to contribute to the construction costs for the Mary overpass. I think um, we have our works director on on call here. Maybe he could talk a little bit about the current funding um, concepts for Mary Avenue. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about there's not this Chip Taylor public works director. There's not um, currently funding for the Mary overpass. I believe there is potentially some funding in the TIF. I would have to look at the actual document to see if it's listed in there, but I believe there is some funding in there but it's very limited. So as we look at the Moffat Park, I think there are potential opportunities to look for some funding related to that. And so it could provide some of the funding, but there still will be a gap of some way. Okay, thank you. Um, so let's see here. Um, something else, you know, we've heard a bit about, uh, quite a bit about the high school. Um, you know, one thing that I think is very, you know, very much worth exploring is possibly joint use agreements between Fremont Union High School District, the city, and possibly even Foothill De Anza for open space. You know, could there be something baked into the community benefits? You know, this open space is something that is dual use that could be shared with the school. Is that something that we could envision happening? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an opportunity in a development agreement for sure. All right, excellent, excellent. Um, so let's see here. Um, so we've heard a little bit about shuttle and wayfinding. Um, there are citywide efforts or citywide open study issues, let's say, I don't think approved yet on both. Uh, well, there is an approved one on a shuttle. There's an, a proposed one on a shuttle. There's a proposed one on wayfinding for bicycle and pedestrians. Um, and one question I had is can, you know, are there ways that we can make sure that as we're talking about these community benefits, that they are playing nicely and fitting into the citywide things that we are exploring in these directions? Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. Um, um, can I comment on that? I, one of the things that's very, very difficult to fund from community benefits is an ongoing program that has annual expenses mm -hmm. year after year after year. Right. Um, typically, development agreements have a defined term. 
um, and it's they're typically infrastructure type improvements or one-time contributions. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to get your hopes up too high about getting a long-term funding stream from a development agreement. Absolutely, and that's I you know I I understand that when we do. Uh, you know, shuttle programs as part of a transit demand mitigation thing that can be time limited. My my concern was making sure that we don't have a Moffett Park shuttle program and a Peary Park shuttle program and a Sunnyvale shuttle program without them, you know, being it's certainly better to have a single one if we're talking about this. Um, okay, uh, Council Member Sell brought up the idea of retail rent stabilization as a community benefit. I'm extremely interested in that. Um, one of the things that I didn't see called out specifically in the tiers here is something around retail as a community benefit. Does that fit into any of the existing tiers? If we were interested in that as a community benefit, would that need to be a separate tier? Um. You know, there are some programs in the plan that um, incentivize retail. I, I, it's not calculated in the FAR. Um, retail is required, but um, it definitely could be if you want to incentivize it more or make it a community benefit. It's something, you know, definitely could be included on the list. I do think um, there have been some local below market rate or rent stabilization for retail programs in the South Bay that have just occurred and um, been approved. So it is something that's happening in other places because of the challenges of retail. Yeah, and, and Michelle, you, uh, Connie Versella, Deputy City Manager. Michelle, you're right. There are a lot of cities that are looking at, at, at this issue. There are some challenges, obviously, with requiring market rate um, retail because at what point in time do you use because the market does fluctuate. So there's maybe times that you may be locking somebody in, you know, at a much higher rate. And if the market goes down, we need to ensure that there's con uh, controls to do that. But the plan does require uh, a certain amount of retail to be built. So that's already um, not sure if, if it needs additional incentivization or community benefits, because that is a requirement of the plan. All right, thank you. Um, and I've got sort of a, a higher level basic factual question here um, that I just wanted to get a good sense of. What was the pre-pandemic, let's say 2019 worker count in Moffett Park on say any given day on average? You know, I don't have that handy, uh, but I'm sure we can get that for like you. Rough, we have a rough ballpark number of where it might be. It doesn't, you know. It was around 30, between 30, 30 and 35,000, but I can't, but I don't remember the exact okay. number, but we can get it and for you. We, we're, we're, look, we're asking our consultant team Thank to look you. it up for you, because I don't remember, but they're looking it up. Okay, and I've got a second question for this, which is, you know, based on, so there's that, and then what are, what is the total worker count on a given day we'd be expecting once this is built out? I'm also looking for our consultant to see if they can dig up that number. Yeah, so the, the in, so Christy can tell us what the projected um, um, employment number would be for the plan area. Thank Christy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I was looking at the draft. Um, it's estimated to be a, a net increase of um, 26,954 employees. Okay, so plus 27,000 employees. Yeah. 
And okay. Christy, do you have the ex existing number there too? No, that's the net. That's the net. So it's approximately 35,000 jobs in the plan area in 2019, okay. according to right. the economist, Derek. Right. That's Thank correct. you. Thank you. Invisible team. <laughs> that's, that's very helpful. That very much helps my uh, uh, analysis of this. Here's a question. So uh, last week, it was last week, we voted on the new housing mitigation fees for uh, commercial development. Would it be possible to say that housing mitigation fees paid from developments in Moffat Park stay in Moffat Park? I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Housing, oh, you mit mitigation so fees. So we have the, the housing oh. mitigation fees, uh, which developers have to pay. Would it be possible for us to say, okay, this is a Moffat Park development. The housing mitigation fees from this development need to be used in Moffat Park. Well, that would be contrary to what the council's done in the past. We've collected fees from all over the city and um, built, had the, funded the, um, affordable projects where the land is available. Um, and the, um, I, I think you might be doing yourself a disservice by trying to limit it just to Moffat Park. I think I might be doing myself a disservice too, but it's an idea that I've heard that I sure. wanted to understand if it was even possible uh, and whether it might be worth it. Then you would not be able to use any of the other money. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm skeptical about this idea of dividing the pots like that, but I mean, with the notion that Moffat Park is part of the city and part of an integral part, that that doesn't feel like that's consistent with that that notion to me. Fair. Um, uh, let's see here. Last question. Um, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to stop it there. I think I've gone on long enough, and I know we need to get to the mayor's comments and public uh, comments. So. Uh, I think I'll stop it there. Thank you very much for an excellent presentation. Thank you, Councilmember Mellinger. And not to cut you off, you can still ask questions. But okay, so I had several questions. So first, thank you for the presentation. Uh, let me follow up a little bit on mobility. And I think, you know, it's several things in conjunction here. One of which is you talk about bridges and and bridges are expensive. And so Councilmember Mellinger brought up uh, the Mary Overpass. Um, to make the East Channel viable, we really need a bridge over 237. Um, from, a, from a community benefit standpoint, I'm assuming that we need to have a figure that, that a developer is not going to say, oh, that's my community benefit. I'm going, I would love that there'd be a developer that would say, I'm just going to fund it, not very likely. From a plan standpoint, do we go in and say, here's what this is going to be costing. And now we need to look at TIF as well as community benefit towards that mobility plan uh, from a bridge standpoint. And then we'll talk, uh, and I'm assuming bridge across the, across the channels is also part of this. But, but to me, bridges over freeways are the big ticket items. Um, so there's two parts. Um, the, Bridge across the channel um, is uh, a required, you know, as a feature of the plan that's been identified as well as bridges across the freeway. I would need to check with the traffic staff to see if either one of those was included in the TIF, the Moffat Park specific plan TIF. I don't think they are. So 
Um, I think your idea of coming up with the value or of the estimated cost of those bridges is probably a really good one. And then to be able to sort of have that um, available for people to contribute to. I mean, there could be a more formal process for projects to come in and put money into that pot specifically, um, sort of like the, the fund, fund a particular project. But I would have to get back to you. I'm 99% sure they're not in the Moffa Park specific plan TIF identified improvements. Thank you. And, and I think the only way we really start earmarking funds towards that is to start at least blue skying or, or at least coming up with what we think are the goals. And I, and I can understand uh, a cross-channel bridge adjacent to a property, and that, that makes total sense. But when we're talking about going over the freeways, it's a community benefit to a large degree because it's you know, it's for Moffat Park, the success of Moffat Park. Yeah. Uh, kind of complementing that is transportation in and out of out of Moffat Park. And we've talked about this in the past and, and you know, several council members have brought up sh shuttle service, whether or not it's related to schools or whatever. Do we see that as a community benefit? That that the transportation and, you know, it's, it's mobility, I'd say from the Moffat Park specific plan as I looked at it, it's mainly focused on inter or in yeah intra uh, Moffat Park mobility. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it couldn't be. I would say that one of the, one of the things that's happening with Moffat Park moving forward and being in this phase of its of its you know inception is that it is now bringing partners in like BTA to start looking at having more robust service from downtown Sunnyvale to Moffa Park. And they've already started that process. Um, I, I also wanna just be clear that the circulator inside Moffa Park is one that, you know, I think the plan envisions having the TMA and, and um, contributing to. So I, I would say it's, it's certainly something that at this point you could certainly include it as like, is there a way to create transportation in and out of the plan area that goes beyond those things? Yes, okay. it's a community benefit. Yeah. Thank, and thank you. I think, you know, for what we've talked about in the past is it's, especially as we're adding housing into Moffat Park, it's making sure that the, the, the residents that are now part of Moffat Park can get out easily as well as additional office, additional business employees can actually make it inside. So so to me, that is an important yeah. community benefit. And, and if I could just elaborate a little bit that um, for infrastructure associated with that, those kind of shuttle services, yes, that's a community benefit, but be mindful of the operating costs. Um, that might not cover it. <laughs> no, and absolutely. And, and, you know, we know that there are several of our tech companies that have funded shuttle citywide shuttle services and and whether or not that's a community benefit here uh, becomes a bigger question as we look at what with the city transportation city funded transportation looks like in the future since trudy you talked about ongoing funding let me let me jump to open space and this is something that that i was a little unclear about the the concept of personnel and and, and this goes back to the city manager talking about we normally take, you know, one-time funding, and that's what developers are, you know, normally focused on. Um, but it's a little interesting when you're talking about dedicated land versus dedicated open space that's private open space that's, that's publicly accessible. 
So in, in looking at kind of the presentation that you're talking about tonight, it's slightly different if the developer, and, and I'm not sure what the development community is currently looking at. Are they currently looking at dedicating the land to the city for open space? Let's specifically talk about open space or making open space publicly accessible, meaning they will maintain it because it's their land. But if that's the case, what what um, renovation, what what you know, much like we're renovating all of our parks, what's the long-term vision of making sure that it that that land, that dedicated land is up to snuff conceivably 10 years out when a different developer buys that piece of property. So in, in, in the past, we've had personnel dedicated for a short-term period from a developer, like for three years or whatever. But if this is dedicated open space, then it's an, I think that this is an increase in city personnel. So can someone trade off dedicated land versus private land openly accessible? So the the dedicated land is more likely to come from citywide speaking from residential development because of the, that those are the projects that are required to dedicate land. Um, if the development is too small and it's not going to be a sufficient amount of land, we would um, accept their fee in lieu of that dedication. Um, in Moffat Park, the majority of the residential developments, while they might have some open space it probably isn't sufficient to meet their park dedication requirements. Um, so there would just be a little bit of land there. So just keep that in mind. The bigger pieces of land would be the non-residential developments that um, are required to have community benefits. And um, what we've done in other developments that have provided um, private open space that's publicly accessible is we have maintenance agreements with them that are standards that are recorded against the property. So that is the obligation, no matter who the owner is. And we have them for several several developments where we've, where we've done that. So I, I think to meet the standard of, of care that the, the city expects, um, we have that agreement to fall back on. Okay, and and then you save the money, and you negotiate. You're negotiating that as part of the development agreement, and that that makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, do those contracts, as we're currently negotiating them, include the reevaluation, the re, you know, the 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 community need or the community, you know, as opposed to just keep it up whatever was initially designed, much like we reevaluate the need the the needs of our par open space throughout the years and I just wondered yeah I don't know that we have spaces that are that large that that the the amenities would need to change over time so this would be kind of entering into new territory okay yeah. because I think the only way as we've seen from original or from some preliminary plans and in previous workshops the linear park concept and how much of that is dedicated private open space private accessible open space and trying to maintain whatever the needs are for for that strip so and whatever whatever you know if a developer leaves if it what how do we maintain that or who you know who yeah sure the maintenance is i mean when you buy the pro property you, you'll know that there's this um this standard that you have to meet um, but if you want to change the facilities um i don't know that we've developed a i don't think we've developed a process okay just 
just adding that to the list. I want to clarify one thing too. You know, it's, it is a negotiation and it could be hybrid. You could require um, the property owner to maintain it for a certain amount of time and then have it dedicated to the city. So, you know, you could do kind of a hybrid thing where there is a period of time where the city's not maintaining it and, and, and incurring that expense and eventually it becomes part of the city's inventory. And and that, you know, that negotiated agreement, much like right. we do with our school districts, makes sense as long as that's baked into the long-term staffing levels right. from a city standpoint. So right. I'm, yeah. I'm completely fine with either direction. It's just being very clear as we start going through community benefits. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, council member Sell brought up retail, several council members brought up retail. One of the things that we talked about in previous workshops was the need for an anchor supermarket and large size, 30,000 square feet. To me that, and I much, and, and I understand from a, from a preliminary plan standpoint, we've talked about retail in multiple locations. Is that store, which I think makes this area as well as kind of North Sunnyvale more viable, considered to be a community benefit or? So it's currently a requirement in the plan to provide a um, that size retail store location. Um, so it's not a community benefit right now. It's okay. a requirement. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's what I remembered. The, the, the problem was it's making sure that that's viable. And, and as has been talked about from a retail standpoint, you know, it's trying to make sure that it's at the, at the appropriate location that a specific developer is going to build it, not just set aside a thirty thousand square foot space and say, "We can't get it. We can't get a supermarket here." You... Well, and I think that it's a timing issue too. So the space might be built um, to accommodate a thirty thousand square foot tenant, but in the interim, you might have four ten thousand or four. That's good math. Three <laughs> ten thousand. <laughs> Required, but okay. well, they stacked them in really, really tightly, um, or or it might be used for a food court or you know something different that that um, is a little bit easier to um, to modify or shorter term tenants. But until you get enough people in that area, the supermarkets aren't going to want. I mean, Connie and I have some good history about talking to supermarkets, and um, they usually come after another one has already decided to to make that to say, oh yeah. I think that's a good area. Right. Um, so it, it is a, a, a combination of land use and, and economic development um, to, to attract um, that kind of tenant, but only when there's sufficient population that they'll do it. Yeah, Trudy, if I could just add, and, and that really is the key, is having the sufficient rooftops. You know, when retailers look look in areas as to where they want to locate and the size of the retail stores, they're looking for rooftop, rooftops, meaning how um, people that live in those homes in order to provide the services that they need. You know, the the employees and the daytime population is good, but really for from a grocery perspective, they're looking for those residents. So this is why timing and phasing is important and ensuring that you get the adequate number of housing units in order to be able to attract and there is that there is store. exactly and there is interim language in the plan there's language in the plan that allows for some interim division of those large spaces so that they don't sit empty um, until there are enough people to create that okay i appreciate that uh and i won't belabor the the school site i do think that that it's important that it's an option, but I do think generally facilities adjacent to open space becomes a bigger question. 
I don't, you know, with with all the if efforts that we're currently having with the, you know, trying to make sure that the branch library is in Lakewood is viable. You know, that's that's a much bigger issue. But I do think park buildings, not having a park building north of one or north of 237 right now um, is an important benefit. And I'm not sure where that fits in this. Is it is it considered to be an open space requirement from a facility standpoint? You know, if we have neighborhoods and if you look at different, you know, different major parks, and I know this is a slightly different linear park, but having that option, you know, we don't have it at, at Baylands. I know Baylands is kind of adjacent to this, but a need for a facility of some sort, at least one building, if not two buildings, considering the the width or the of, of Moffat Park becomes in my mind, a requirement that something that we have at the majority of our parks around the city, except for pocket parks. Here you have conceivably 70 acres of open space. And I know it'll be a mixture of a private open space or whatever, but but where does that fall on this plan? So there, there is a community space that is um, included in the community benefits, but it's inside the activity centers, right. not in the open space. So I was just going to say, if you wanted to have a community building like you have in the other parks in Sunnyvale, that model, that would be a community benefit. But maybe Kent had something else to say. Um, I think Michelle covered it. It would have to be a community benefit. The basic requirement to dedicate parkland is land only. It can be unimproved. It can be a vacant lot. And residential projects could meet their full obligation dedicate parkland with no improvements whatsoever. Okay. So we could negotiate further and we can also use the in lieu fees from any project in Sunnyvale to put amenities in that land if it's dedicated to the city. Okay. And, and that's I appreciate that. You know, this is and I know that we talked about the activity centers, but when you start looking at a long park, to me that's an amenity that conceivably doesn't have to be tied to the activity center, but um, and usually is open space related. Um, my, I think my last question. So I appreciate the form based code. I appreciate, you know, conceivably more affordable housing units. One of the things that we haven't really talked about is the envisioned breakdown between for sale and rental. And if you went back, 10 years, 20 years, we had a strong goal of 50-50. We've seen that go more towards rental. But, you know, um, I forget which council member uh, talked about uh, starter homes. Uh, council member Sell talked about starter homes, what that envisions. And does staff consider that a requirement? You know, normally we, we leave this up to the developers completely. And as we've seen over the last few years, they lean in one direction the majority of the time. We, we can't um, specify the tenancy of, of, a, of a residential building. We can't say it has to be for ownership or it has to be for rental. So just that's just the starting point. <laughs> um, the policy that we have currently is that um, the majority, meaning 50.01%, See, I got the math right that time. <laughs> um, have to, that's the goal is to have the, the majority of, of housing units um, available for 
ownership opportunity, but many owners of a unit rented out. So that's why our percentage now is actual rental is greater than 50%. Um, and that's because it's an ownership opportunity owned by an individual, but they rent it out to someone else. So, so just get, getting that basis there. Um, so you, you could potentially have um, a program that incentivizes one or the other, but these are trends that change and go back and forth. Um, I don't really think we can predict yet what will happen in Moffitt Park because it really depends on what's happening with the economy and um, as different size buildings get, um, uh, you know, pencil out differently in the future, um, you, you may see a lot more ownership than, than you've seen in the last couple of years. Um, but that's a little bit um, skewed by a, a thousand unit project at the former AMD property. Right. And, and, but we look at downtown, we look at, you know, downtown was initially envisioned mainly as, as for sale and the new vision is is more rental, uh, exactly the same at the AMD site. And I understand the developers on different areas have decided different things, but I do, you know, I definitely like to continue this discussion as far as how how we try to incentivize this to meet that goal. Because I hear from a certain segment that starter homes aren't part of Sunnyvale. And how we encourage for sale condos um, specifically, and I think that's that's kind of the format that we're looking at for you know multifamily in Moffat Park to a large degree is that form factor, whether or not it's apartments or condos. How we try to encourage the developers to to move in that direction, at least for let's say forty percent. You know, at this point, at this point, just looking at, and I understand the market is the, the the be all end all but we've seen to me to me it, it going in one direction and and when i talk to developers they're they're hesitant to do condos so i i'm not sure I just have to tell you something amusing i've been going through um items that were in the basement and um i knew about this study but the, the city did a study in the 1980s about uh, um, establishing rental only zoning district. So at that time there was a push and there were a number of condominium projects where the council said, well, can't you rent it out initially? <laughs> so these things change is my point. Yeah. I, I, but I was, it was making me smile as you were talking because <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and things do change over time. It's just that I'd say that's one of the biggest thing that I hear from a lot of residents. Um, that's all my questions in general. You know, I'll talk more about the, the framework, the tiers, but overall, I think, you know, the tiers um, match what I think are our council's goals and I'll have more later. Uh, that's all the questions from council. So I will now go open the public comment, um, open the public hearing on this workshop, members of the public wishing to address council, please submit speaker cards uh, to the city clerk or use the raised hand button now or dial star nine on your telephone. If you wish to speak, I will call on members of the public participating in person first. Uh, then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's your turn to address city council. Speakers will have 90 seconds to speak. And for members in person, we have uh, lights, green meaning go, yellow meaning 30 seconds remaining, and red meaning stop. Um, I have two speaker cards. First up 
is Carrie Hay Haywood. <laughs> it was a 50-50 chance. <laughs> Hi, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, wherever I know where you are, but and uh, council members. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here in person. And this is my first council meeting in a long time that I'm not in sweats. So it's good <laughs> to be here. Um, I'm Carrie Haywood. I'm the executive director of the Moffat Park Business Group. And again, I applaud the work that has been done by staff and the project team to create a vision of the space and to turn that vision into actionable policies, processes, and procedures. Um, but as we know, the work is not done. And at this point, the devil is in the details. Um, so there are a couple of points I just wish to share and for you to consider. And I already noted that uh, many of you have kind of touched on them, but just to reiterate, reiterate some of the things that we're thinking about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, first is concern that any land dedication or um, infrastructure that's built for public utilities does not then have to um, become a long-term requirement for the company to manage or maintain, operate. Um, for many organizations, managing um, or operating a public space may be considered outside of a company's core business and sometimes expertise. Um, the second point I'd like to state is the importance of infrastructure improvements for implement, implementation of the plan. It is much more efficient to build these improvements in large segments um, than in piecemeal fashion. And I noted that um, this is under tier one, so it's a very important um, part of the, the build out of the plan. So we suggest, um, and maybe this is already in the works, that the city rank utility and infrastructure improvements um, throughout the planned area by urgency of need. Um, and this that will improve the systematic build out of large segments and help achieve the specific plan. And the last item to consider is for the below mar market recreation and innovation space as community benefit um, instead of a requirement for every new development. And I'm just gonna end it there because my time is so much up. So thank you for your consideration. Thank you very much. And next we have uh, Don Mayer. Good evening, Mayor Klein and Council. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. So this is really exciting to be a part of this conversation, to be able to overhear everything. I'm Don Mayer. I'm CEO of the Sunnyvale Chamber of Commerce, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to participate in the discussion tonight. And, um, you know, what we appreciate that the community uh, benefit framework that staff has identified so far, we're really on board with that. And I'm enjoying hearing more about council's priorities through these discussions. Um, certainly, we in appreciate incentivizing or creatively supporting retail because uh, I think we can all agree that requiring retail space is only the first step. And um, what we're thinking about uh, from a Chamber of Commerce, the feedback that we're getting our board of directors is really the accessibility and affordability for future tenants in the long term. So I do want to echo a couple of Carrie's points, which is just the public utilities as, uh, as the management of public utilities going forward is something that we've gotten feedback that it's um, a heavy lift for developers. 
to manage, maintain, and operate those public utilities after they're in place. Um, and then regarding innovation space, if there's the possibility that that is um, built into community benefit, though there are lots of great ideas for you to consider tonight, that's something that we would ask as well. But uh, we appreciate your consideration and we'll certainly be back with more comments. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was my last speaker card. Anyone else wish to speak? No. Uh, City Clerk, do we have any remote speakers who wish to speak on this item? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First is Gita Dev, followed by Chuck Fraley. Gita, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the City Council. Good evening, Council. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. If you can speak a little bit louder, then. Very good. I'll try that. Thank Better. you. Good evening, everyone. Um, I want to very much uh, say how much I appreciate what staff and uh, the design team have put together and have been very interested in the very thoughtful conversation with the, with the council members. The point I'd like to raise is I'd like to bring us around to the tier one uh, items, the three items. We do want to note that uh, when there were, there were extensive surveys done uh, along the way, public participation and open space and the biodiversity came out very high in people's wish list along with housing. And I just want to ask the, the staff really, how do we guarantee that in fact, this open space will actually transpire if we want to make this an ecological and innovation district? Because as you've pointed out, in the housing, there's required open space, but there are small amounts. So we're counting on it from the office and um, you know commercial, but they have a, they will highly prioritize infrastructure or housing over open space, which will then be considered. Well, we can't afford this luxury. So if this is an innovation and an ecological district, how are we going to actually make sure that we're going to have the open space shown us? in the beautiful diagrams. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Chuck Fraley, followed by Ronnie Fisher. Chuck, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. Uh, good evening, everybody. Um, first of all, I wanna say uh, thanks to staff for working on this. This has been a huge project and it has taken a lot of work and just uh, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, for me, um, the highest priority with the plan right now is addressing the schools in Moffitt. Um, the IR does address schools, but it actually says that there's no new school being considered as part of the plan. Um, and then it goes on to conclude that there's not going to be any impact from the 2000 new students who are going to live in Moffat Park. Um, now somehow I imagine this does meet whatever the checkboxes we need to do for the EIR, but it doesn't answer the question of where the kid's going to go to school. Um, so I'd like as part of kind of the process of developing this plan that we answer that question. We figure out how many elementary schools we're going to need what we're going to do for middle schools and high schools and come up with a plan for that. Um, we don't want to be in a position again where we're leaving the kids in Northern Sunnyvale behind and not giving them any local schools. Uh, the two other priorities, uh, one is retail that's been mentioned before. Um, the plan does propose that 30,000 square foot uh, grocery store, but to me, it seems that that's not quite enough. Um, that's not the size of a Safeway or a Lucky or something like that. It's like a smaller neighborhood market. Um, 
we were able to get like a 50,000 square foot Whole Foods downtown. Um, it'd be nice to be able to get something like that in the much bigger Moffitt development. And the third priority um, is youth sports. Um, I'd like to see a lot more youth sports facilities uh, provided for this. Um, it seems like what's proposed right now is, is fairly limited. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up is Ronnie Fisher, followed by Brant Burns. Ronnie, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. Good evening, council and Mayor Klein and principal planner King. Um, I wanna second what Gita Dev said, but really I, I, I'm here just to request for two extra weeks in, to extend the deadline to respond to the ERR because we received the um, DEIR only on December 19th, right before the holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Brant Burns, followed by uh, Kenneth Javier Rosales. Brant, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. Good evening, council members. My name is Brant Burns. I am the director of facilities and operations for Sunnyvale School District. I want to start by thanking the city staff for all the work that you guys have put in in regards to the Moffat Park specific plan. Um, it's been very educational and interesting to read the plan and take a look at what's coming down the pipeline. Um, I did want to emphasize or encourage the city council to consider making the priority for community benefits for dedicating land to elementary school sites as a tier one priority. I believe one of the members this evening spoke to that, um, you know, with the potential of 1,200 students being generated from Moffat Park specific plan. Um, I believe that we need to have dedicated land out there for developers to be incentivized to work with school districts um, in the future years. So thank you again for everybody's time. Thank you. Next up is Kenneth Javier Rosales. Kenneth, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. Hi, I'm Kenneth Javier Rosales with SV at Home, a nonprofit organization that advocates for affordable housing throughout Santa Clara County. I'd like to thank staff for their hard work on the draft plan. I'd also like to thank you for uh, your leadership in driving this plan forward. It's been years in the making and we're excited to be at the public review stage of the process. We really wanna see this plan succeed. And uh, we think that means that we need to ensure that all the full Sunnyvale community, including those who need deeper levels of affordability, have the opportunity to live in Moffitt Park and enjoy the additional community benefits that will bring richness to the new neighborhood. We appreciate staff for incorporating a tiering structure for the community benefits program. We believe we're still on the path to successfully incentivizing affordable housing production, including for very low and extremely low income households. But we think we could go further. We believe there are some issues with the lack of specificity in the tiering. It's unclear how the benefits will be effectively weighted so that the city's goals will be realized. Without details in this process, we will, we will fall short of collective expectations. We strongly believe that the community benefits program needs to include a tiering structure that can successfully incentivize affordable housing production, including for very low and extremely low income households. As you consider this, consider this we hope you recognize that this is a tool to provide housing opportunities to reach deeper levels of affordability and generally more housing for Sunnyville residents and workers in the area. We're grateful for our partnership with the city and are committed to continued coordination to meet our shared vision of an eco-innovation district in Moffat Park. We're happy to discuss our letter further with you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Perry Hariri. Perry, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. 
Mayor Klein and members of council. I'm Perry Herreri with uh, Mayor Mark Capital. We're the owners of um, a property at 352 East Java. We, um, we wanted to thank the staff for engaging with us on um, some thoughts we had of develop, developing our property into a high density residential. We're, as far as we know, one of the few um, few properties that are um, actively engaged in developing it for residential. Um, there's some excellent components of the project, including community benefits and the tiered benefit program and um, a lot of the open space. But a couple aspects I would urge the council uh, to look closely at are the, the some of the form-based codes makes it very difficult to develop the projects feasibly. Um, um, it requires developing high density residential, which makes it uh, high rise residential and makes it very unfeasible and unlikely to develop because of construction costs. The other one is um, the concept of this diagonal. It does look very pretty on a plan, but implementing such a wide diagonal cutting across uh, numerous properties will make um, developing this plan um, in the near future, very, um, very unlikely. So we need to look at that and study that further. Thank you. Thank you. And Mayor, that was the final public speaker on this workshop. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public. Oh, one hand just came up. We'll uh, keep it open a little bit longer. Okay, uh, we have a hand up from David Hardy. David, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. David, you should see a pop-up on your screen asking you to unmute. Yes, thank you. Good evening. Uh, good evening, uh, council and city staff, and thank you for your time this evening. On behalf of Ellis Partners, uh, we would like to express our support for the specific plan's goals of creating a more connected, inclusive, and above all, sustainable built environment. Um, we would like to express our gratitude to city staff and the team of consultants for putting forth such a comprehensive and thoughtful plan for the future of Moffat Park. Now, out of a desire to see the plan come to fruition, we would like to share our concerns about certain elements that threaten its feasibility. During prior public meetings, several community members have publicly stated their concern about the restrictive parking maximums, and we concur that this alone threatens the viability of commercial projects in the park. But there are other development requirements in the draft plan that further threaten the economic feasibility of new projects because they substantially increase construction costs and operational costs. We ask that the city collaborate with us and other landowners to find alternative solutions that achieve the goals of the plan. Our common goal to develop Moffat Park into a series of 15 minute neighborhoods cannot be realized without the fees and infrastructure investment that will be created by office development. In recent years, much of the development activity in Silicon Valley has been sponsored by a small handful of large corporate users. However, with recent major layoffs of many of the largest employers in Sunnyvale, we believe Sunnyvale should adopt a plan that provides for feasible speculative office development, which is critical to attracting and supporting Sunnyvale's next generation of emerging businesses that cannot afford nor have the scale to build and operate their own facilities. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you. Next up is Ray Hashimoto. Ray, you've been unmuted and you have 90 seconds to address the city council. Uh, thank you. Um, Mayor Klein and members of the council, Ray Hashimoto with HMH Engineers. 
Um, also uh, teaming with Miramar Capital, Perry Herrera, who had spoke earlier tonight. I do want to support and reiterate the comments that, that Perry made, uh, but also want um, staff to consider when they're looking at infrastructure um, and the cost of infrastructure for the specific plan area, I want to make sure that they're thinking about um, other uh, sanitary or storm sewer uh, capacity issues that were also being caused by upstream uh, developments, and that maybe all of that shouldn't be placed on this development, but should be looked at as a, a benefit as a whole for the entire school, uh, for, for the entire city, and that uh, that should be considered when looking at the cost of improving at the end of the line infrastructure, which is what's going to happen in the Moffat Park area. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. And Mr. Mayor, that was the final member of the public indicating a desire to speak on this workshop. Thank you very much. I'll go ahead and close public hearing. And uh, if you could bring up the questions that staff wanted us to answer before we wrap up tonight. Um, I know that, count, that council had quite a few questions, uh, but just don't wanna make sure that, that we're all cognizant of what staff would like from us for those three questions. And with that, I'll bring back to council for final questions or comments in response to staff. First up is council member Mellinger. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, I have a question and then some comments. And the question is, uh, we heard concerns from a resident about whether the 30,000 square feet was sufficient for a grocery store to serve you know, 20,000 homes. Uh, do can uh, Ms. Rosellis or uh, Ms. Ryan speak to that possibly? Trudy, I, I, I can take it. Um, you know, the the fifty the the square footage that we are recommended in the plan is seems to be adequate for that. There's a trend, um, and I just saw a report last week from grocery stores um, reducing being the average size about thirty eight thousand square feet for a grocery store. And that's for the format for um, automation. You know, the, the way we shop is changing. So mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need a lot of space for um, different products because now you can survey yourself. You don't need a lot of space for uh, cash registers. So the, the footprint of grocery stores are shrinking. So about 38,000 square, uh, 38, square feet is the average um, size of grocery stores. And they are predicting that they may go smaller. All right, thank you. Um, so now to get on to my comments. So the first one I've got, someone mentioned, I think it might've been Trudy mentioned that one of the issues with the community benefits is there's not gonna be any community there when it starts, right? There's not gonna be residents there to say, I want a park, I want swings, I want this, I want that. Uh, one possibility I would like us to look at, at least for the early phase of Moffat Park development until there is what you'd call a critical mass of residential is some sort of commission or citizens, you know, appointed commission on community benefits to act as a panel to act, not to approve, but just to provide, have a designated group of citizens who are interested in the future of Moffat Park and can help to provide that feedback so that it's not just being done in a vacuum, you know, until we have the first 5,000 units up. Um, so a few things I wanted to call out in terms of placemaking, I would like to see historic markers, historic context, uh, stuff like we have near the orchard, for instance, on you know the history of orchards in Sunnyvale. 
you know, Moffat Park, that whole area has a very rich and very deep history. And I'd love to see that included in the placemaking. Um, in terms of the tiers themselves, um, I'm going to say that I would be very interested in seeing a retail benefit as one of the tiers, either in tier three or tier two. I think it is worth splitting education from community facilities as a benefit uh, for two reasons. One is so that when our residents look at this, they see that education is called out very clearly. But two, I could see us ranking education as a tier one community benefit above other community facilities. Um, let's see here. And then, so council just voted to adopt as a strategic priority, you know, serving our unhoused community. Based on that, I could see the tier, current tier three priority on supportive housing for specific groups moving up to tier two, or uh, not supportive housing specifically, but uh, uh, yes, housing for specific groups. I could see that moving up to tier two. I will also note that there is a serious need for supportive housing, not just for our unhoused residents, but for developmentally disabled adults and for senior citizens. Um, so I could see housing for specific groups moving to tier two. Um, I do think the five-year review cycle is good, um, you know, especially since uh, Ms. Ryan pointed out, we will be getting annual check-ins. You know, if it does seem in those annual check-ins that things are getting a little, that we need to have an earlier check-in, or that we need to have an earlier uh, review cycle. I would hope that we could arrange for that. But as of right now, I am okay with the idea of a five-year review cycle. And I think that does it for my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. Um, really great to hear from our members of the public. And I wanted to follow up on a couple of um, questions staff that um, some of our members of the public posed. The first one was, um, what assurances are there in the plan um, that the creation of parks and open space will take place, that it's not all just voluntary um, uplift type contributions? And I, I found myself looking at the draft of the plan, pages 144 and 145, table nine is the uh, incredible list of potential future parks and open spaces by area. So how how do we have assurances that these will be accomplished? So on, on page 86, it's actually a list of requirements um, for those for the open space. So it's required um, and in the areas in which it's required by a development that would be asking for bonus FAR, which is the expectation for all the areas that have office since already developed at 35% or greater, um, they would be doing a development um, request, an allocation of the FAR, and then they would be um, developing their site master plan based on the requirements of the plan that have the open space. And then ultimately it comes to council. So nothing will happen in the plan you would not approve a project that would not meet the intent of the plan. So there's a giant stop at council to make sure it happens. Got it. Thank yeah. you. Um, one of our members of the public said uh, they would like more time to provide comment on the draft environmental impact report. I express no opinion on that whatsoever. Who should that person contact and city staff to make their request? Um, they can write me an email. My email is on... Um, on all the notices. Great. We did 
just so the council's aware, already extended, foreseeing that people may have felt that because it came out before the holidays, they weren't getting their full 45 days. I think it's a 56 day review. I'm trying to remember how many days we added, but it was a significant number. So um, they can send me a, a, a email and I can discuss it with the director and the manager. Great, thank you. Um, I'll keep going. Let's talk um, about schools a little bit more. I did not bring up schools when I was previously had my microphone on. Um, so like council member Sunavasan, um, I was at the um, Fremont Union High School District uh, board meeting tonight. Um, it was great to see that in person. I, I would imagine maybe all seven council members participated either in person or remotely several spoke. I, I thought it was very interesting and, and clearly, um, you know, one thing that I think um, the high school district staff was trying to impart is just the immense difficulty of getting land and then you've got to get through all the requirements of the land and all of that. And so I got to thinking about um, um, the new McDonald High School up in North San Jose that's built on the previous Agnews State Mental Hospital or however that um, came out. And it took Sierra and Clara Unified like 20 years after they got the land to actually build the thing. And the high school just opened a couple of months ago. Um, so that, that's really where it's at now, isn't it? That um, it's going to take some level of extraordinary effort to get land for a school pretty much anywhere in Santa Clara County. And the example of Agnew becoming the three schools for Santa Clara Unified or the extraordinary measure of having a community benefit, you know, specifically focused on a school. That, that's sort of where we're at. Would you agree with um, what I, I just said? I would agree. And I, I'll, I'll just note that the school sites that are in Sunnyvale now, my understanding is that they were all developed in the 60s and 70s. So that is very difficult to get the land that is look people are looking for. And I think the expectation of the type of campus would have to be part of the community discussion you know, it probably won't look like a traditional high school campus based on the ground that would be required. Yeah. Be something alternative. I Yeah, I'll just say a couple of things. I think in a couple of years, Fremont High School itself will be um, celebrating its 100 year anniversary of founding. Um, and then, um, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now um with regard to the school district oh i remember what i wanted to say which was i i thought the staff presentation the community feedback and the board deliberation at the high school district meeting tonight was extraordinary they said they were going to tape it and have it on youtube so anybody in the community who's interested that's probably a worthwhile 90 minutes of of time to spend is what i wanted to say um so thank you for answering the questions with regards to um the questions in front of us, I'll start at the bottom. I think the five-year review cycle is desirable. I think I noted other parts of the plan, Michelle, where we have sort of these interim check-in periods that are built into the plan in case we're sensing things are getting out of whack. And I seem to remember those were also five-year sort of cycles. So I'm totally on board with the community benefits also having a five-year review cycle. So that's totally awesome. I wish... Um, I could take all of the awesome items that are on this FOIL 39 and just refer to all of them as tier one because they're all awesome and they're all totally important, um, but that's not going to be realistic. Here are some things I would um, advocate for. I like the items that we have in tier one, as I see them on the list here. 
if I could split out community facilities, parentheses, school, and move them over to tier one or tier one A, sort of just below tier one, but above tier two, I would do that. If I could do community facilities, parentheses, uh, water, sewer, storm water, like I asked about earlier, I would, I would um, do that as well. Um, and put that somewhere between tier one and tier two. Um, I think climate adaptation, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about sea level rise and the US Army Corps of Engineers and all of that, but I, I think that's what um, that item is talking about. I think that's important. Um, I like the idea um, from Council Member Mellinger about like a board or a commission. Um, I know that's not part of what we're talking about in terms of community benefit, but if Council wanted to create another board or commission, right, and appoint commissioners to a Moffat Park um, advisory panel on you know, um, thoughts on allocations of community benefits or um, where things should be going as it starts to build out. I, I think that's an idea that's um, supportable. And then I just want to get back to endorse um, Councilmember Sell's concept. Uh, I would put it somewhere in tier two or tier three of um, a retail support community benefit. Those are my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember Melton. Next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to members of the public for weighing in on this. Uh, I think that really helped me flush out where I was on answering these questions that I brought up in my first set of questions. Um, so on the other community benefit benefits and frameworks uh, after the city manager made the point and, and I, it got me thinking that typically community benefits aren't well suited to doing long-term um, maintenance or, or, uh, or contributions to a specific program and how that can be really hard. However, it got me thinking that there are other large scale developments um, in the region where shuttles or other services say for um, transportation to school uh, in absence of a new school site there um, where the, the community benefit is the startup of the program and then a certain uh, amount of year, a certain number of years after that to maintain it. So it wouldn't be in perpetuity, but it would be community benefit that would be for a certain number of years. And so I'm interested in specking out how much it would cost to actually do a shuttle program and if we would be able to incorporate uh, and you know, absorb the cost of that into our city budget after a certain amount of years. So that's just something I would like to think about as well, because it's either we have the school site and we can't really put that into the plan, but thinking about how we can still um, support our project of increasing equity in the region to make sure that all students have the same educational opportunities. So that I'm seeing these two things as uh, an either or proposition. So if it could be specced into the community benefits to put that into the bucket of the additional uh, above and beyond TMA uh, contribution that one would meet, not just the, uh, um, you know, improvements to the infrastructure to to um, combat traffic increases, but also to have uh, that for a a school shuttle down to the uh, inaccessible high school for a certain number of years and think about how that would fit into our budget. Uh, so that's just more information I'd like on that. Um, and then uh, I was thinking about uh, climate climate adaptation in where we're putting it into the tiers and something that I connect with climate adaptation, and I'm glad the mayor brought it up, was the number of ownership units that we would have in the plan. And I'm just thinking about having owning a place, condo or 
uh, a townhome and having to get flood insurance. And if we haven't gone ahead and adapted to climate change in a way that would make it so that they could purchase insurance on their home and we could offer um, sub, some substantial reassurance that your house will not be underwater uh, in the time that you own it. I think that the number of units that we have for ownership needs to coincide with how much we adapt, how much we put into climate adaptation. So uh, I'm okay with where it is now, but I'm saying if we go above what the ratio we're thinking of now is, which I believe I heard it's 40%, 30%-ish right now. We don't have anything. Okay. Well, I we have a citywide policy that the majority of housing should be for ownership opportunity. Okay. Uh, so if, if that's the case, I'd want to see climate. If we're going to hold to that policy, we want to see climate adaptation uh, jump up into tier one to make sure that we're protecting that um, those owner ownership uh, units. Um, let's see. So then uh, that's all I have for um, the other community ben uh, benefits in the framework. I, I would like to say that uh, seeing some kind of citizenship, citizen committee, or um, it sounds, I would be in agreement with uh, looking into how we could do that. I think that would be very helpful as we don't necessarily have, maybe that could be instead of going to a shorter period of time uh, with the uh, review, that would be helpful. And then are they in the correct tiers? Um, there was the housing in the specific groups, and I'm glad that Council Mellinger brought that up because that's something I was thinking of too. And the way I uh, formed it in my head was if we have more offsite affordable housing, I'd be interested in looking for opportunities to do permanent affordable or permanent uh, supportive housing uh, in those offsite uh, affordable housing developments uh, as we are looking to transition more of our unhoused population into housing, which is a wonderful thing that we're prioritizing, but that would lead us toward that goal and that would be in the specific group category. So I would uh, almost like to see that jump up into the uh, second tier if that's something that, uh, if we're looking at more offsite, as I know that some developers have said they'd prefer rather than doing um, uh, on-site. So then the five-year review cycle, yes, I'm comfortable with it. Uh, we can be flexible and I just wanted to you know, reiterate to members of the public that we can bring this back to uh, readdress the community benefit prioritization before the five-year period if it if we get more information uh, that changes the way we our outlook on our current plans. So we are flexible, um, but I'd like to stay with the five years. That's the kind of estimated how long it would be. Um, so that's all I got. Are there any questions about any of my comments? No, we're good. Okay, that's all. Thank you very much. Thank you. And next is Councilmember Sell. So I agree with some of my colleagues where I think it would be great if we could have a community facility tier, which we break off schools so that the wider community could see that um, schools are prioritized and um, that would be near tier one or tier one A, such as um, my colleagues were mentioning, uh, Council Member um, Milton. And I'd also support, it appeared that many community members were um, worried about prioritizing utilities. So that's a priority for those to be going in. So a community uh, facility tier that prioritized uh, utility and also identified um, 
the maintenance plan, maybe the uh, companies that initially funded the infrastructure, maybe uh, there might be a fee, but maybe they wouldn't be responsible solely to take care of it because that's not their core business. Um, in terms of climate adaption, it wasn't clear to me that um, I know part of the plan is for them to have uh, climate sustainability as part of their plans, but um, maybe some community benefit would be going beyond uh, climate incentives, such as you know funding grants so that people could um, have more uh, retrofit of their homes for you know things that help us move further in our climate action plan. Um, if that could be part of the climate adoption. I'm not sure if it currently is. I'd also be um, supportive of some support, a tier or some support of um, retail because uh, retail for the residents, that's a part of what they enjoy, walking neighborhoods, going visiting cafes and retail. So I'd be supportive of that and maybe a tier to between tier one or tier, I mean, a tier two kind of place. Um, I, I also heard um, uh, some speakers speak about the innovation space. So I work for a tech company and generally like our company covers the whole building, but in adjacent building down the street, I see like plug and play, and that's a collection of innovation spaces. So just as we have the affordable um, housing, either um, developers can build it on their property or they can contribute to fund and the fund will help generate affordable housing. So they could either build it on the property, the innovation space, or they can contribute to a fund and the fund would contribute to a, a centralized um, innovation space for um, new startup type companies. Um, I also think that when we have citizen feedback, it leads to a successful endeavor. I was involved with the Housing and Human Services Commission and we did the um, mobile home MOUs and we had a community advisory group. And I felt like that that enabled us to have more insight into the details of things. So. I would support a, a community citizen committee to give the staff feedback um, about the community benefits, just a sounding board and advisory. Um, and in terms of the review cycle, like a five-year in-depth review cycle would be fine, but just in the first few years, maybe we're getting started out. So maybe a light touch review just so uh, council gets idea, um, here's how we're doing on the community benefits and the summary of what's going on and everything's okay. And so kind of like a light touch on the review, but maybe a five-year in-depth, are we uh, studies, are we gonna change things? Um, and I um, liked what um, council member Cisneros and council member Srinivasan and Melinda are talking about, um, shuttles in relationship to schools because I do see those as two things like whatever we do right away we can't build a school by tomorrow but
but I, I'm glad that you're working with BTA and giving them input. Um, I'm also would be supportive of targeted funds to for um, community benefits for developers that want to contribute to help our students get to the high schools um, on a shuttle and also um, shuttles to other businesses around our communities, such as to the downtown. Um, maybe the Moffat Park people would enjoy targeted shuttles to the downtown and that would further help our retail and help um, uh, businesses be successful. And, and then that way also helps uh, Sunnyvale's for them to support Sunnyvale. Um, yeah, I think when I, um, when I talk to people in the community and business community, they're, they're, they seem supportive. And here we have heard support and um, of the staff's work with the business community and the wider community. And I would just hope that you keep doing that, keep doing a great job that you're doing and keep doing that because um, that's how we're getting a lot of this positive support on this really innovative plan. So keep doing that. You're doing an excellent job. Thank you so much for the work you do for our community and this plan. So impressed with this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. Next up is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, thank you to my colleagues, staff, and the public for their patience. Uh, I actually took a COVID test during the meeting and I've tested positive. So uh, I hope my colleagues understand that I uh, might be keeping my camera off as uh, the virus is doing quite a number on me right now. Um, I'm just going to barrel through my points as best I can. Uh, I to me, my biggest, one of the biggest things is prioritizing affordable housing, uh, especially by being strong on trying to ensure uh, the inclusionary housing is built uh, and not just in lieu fee to the extent that we can. I think flexibility is very important and it's how we get those higher numbers, but uh, I really, in my head, I see the inclusionary housing as the main vehicle for achieving that. Um, I also, I think as I heard in the conversation and something that's important to me is uh, to the best extent we can, keeping the benefits tied to Moffat Park uh, and then generally in North Sunnyvale. Uh, A, because uh, that's where the developments are happening. It makes sense to keep it there. But also on top of that, as we all know, North Sunnyvale is historically uh, one of the areas in the city that does not get the same level of resources as the rest of the city. And so I see this as such an important and vital opportunity uh, to work on that. Uh, and then finally, bringing in a, or not finally, sorry, but next, uh, bringing in a school to North Sunnyvale through this uh, is extremely important to me. I think I really appreciate uh, the points that all my colleagues have been making tonight uh, and the advocacy that they've been doing on behalf of North Sunnyvale residents and students. And my thanks to the school board for their uh, fantastic meeting tonight. Um, I think getting a more access to schooling for our students up here is very important, but on top of that, uh, right underneath schools in my uh, rankings is transit uh, access to residents, uh, which also will help students get uh, to their schools and using this uh, as a vehicle for getting that I think is very important. Um, I think a five year review cycle is merited and I would like to see it. Um, and I like Councilmember Saul's idea of uh, potential retail oriented community benefits uh, and seeing what that looks like. So those are kind of, and then to the community benefits, uh, outside of what I just mentioned, I think the rest of it uh, are in the correct tiers. So thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, next up is Council Member Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. 
<laughs> Excellent uh, presentation and great uh, public comments. Uh, one of the questions I have is uh, in the vision statement for Moffat Park, it says ecological innovation district. Where is the innovation in the tier? Uh, I know uh, Council Member Sal brought it up, but uh, I thought this was ecological uh, innovation, which could be different from so it's an ecological innovation district. So it's the two things together, not innovation about ecology, but right. eco could be, but right. ecological innovation. Um, so the innovation, um, uh, there's a requirement for all of the office development that that's above the base provide um, space for innovation businesses based on their number of square feet that they're building. So that's providing space for innovation businesses in the plan area. Okay. Yeah. It's like incubator. And incubator the, space. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I thought it was ecological innovation. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, I understand. It makes yeah, sense. Because, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm glad okay. you asked. Yeah. 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 Because there you go. that is related yeah. to the question uh, Mayor asked uh, if uh, private owned lands are used as open space, where is the ecological? innovation which will come in because we the city will not be able to dictate uh, uh, the design or trees and all those things right so but uh, regarding that question um, can we get uh, contiguous uh, private space or uh, what what is the vision there if the developers are not contiguous so the a lot of the open space that's envisioned in the plan is owned by single developers. Okay. Um, some of the larger components are owned by um, single ownership. And then uh, we expect that the open space that's required for the residential projects will be more smaller types of facilities or that they'll be collectively building them together for adjacent residential projects. But there is a ownership component to the design of those located open space facilities because we were trying to make it feasible. And then as Mir pointed out and other council members pointed out, mobility is very important. It is, uh, you, uh, the way I am looking at uh, this uh, area is it's 20,000 homes which is bigger than any of the districts in Sunnyvale, the existing districts. So connecting that that big district to other parts of Sunnyvale is crucial. So right now the main roads are Matilda, Lawrence and Fair Oaks. So some way of connecting that is very, very critical. And then regarding the five-year cycle, as my colleagues pointed out, it's sufficient and then frequent checkpoint so that we don't get skewed on one tier uh, community benefit would be very useful, at least in the initial phases. Uh, regarding uh, what uh, uh, Council Member Malinger said, a commission might be useful. At the same time, I would, as a neighborhood association leader, I would also uh, urge city to encourage uh, the neighbors to form associations so that 
it's always useful as a community. Thank you very much. Thank you. And next is Council Member Mellinger. Just a quick question for staff after the mayor makes his comments. Could you let us know if you're looking for a motion or if what we've given you is sufficient? I'm going to chime in on that. Um, we got a lot of good comments tonight so far and with more to come from the mayor. Um, we have enough to develop a refined proposal. So there's not a consensus. We had different comments from different members, but we have enough to, I think, put something together that's closer to what you want. And we could bring that back uh, when the plan's adopted for your consideration. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, let me start with a question. So one of the community benefits is mobility and infrastructure. And, and we focus mainly on infrastructure we control. Have we heard back from PG&E on their, on any feedback on Moffat Park specific plan? Just wondering. Yeah, we've, we've met with PG&E um, a couple of times and continue to engage with them about potential, a um, couple different things about the microgrid potential in the plan area, about uh, long range plans for potentially undergrounding some of the high tension um, power lines that run along the East Channel. Um, and just about the overall capacity of service in the plan area and making sure that it's distributed um, and that it's going to have enough to serve the future uses there. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about microgrids too, make sure that all these things are coming together. I will say that PG&E is, you know, they are trying to change their approach um, and are looking at ways to engage in the planning process as opposed to being reactive, but it's a baby step. So we're we're working with them. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. And and this is, I'll say, my history with PG in the, in the past and very reactive until we have, you know, and, and from a planning standpoint, what we're doing here is very unique, looking at designing a city in the north part of our city. But at least preliminary discussions with pg e have always been, well, when you have a development design contract for a thousand homes, then come to us and we'll make sure that we hope we can give you the power to, to those homes. And so I, I appreciate that at least they might be changing their process. It, they are. I think they're, they are trying. Okay. Yeah. They're aware of it. Thank, so. thank you for that. Cause we, yeah. we don't really focus that much on, on that requirement that we focus on water. We focus on sewer and roads. Um, as far as feedback on, on the community benefits, I think in general, they look good. Uh, for me, mobility infrastructure is critical into and outside, into and out of the, the Moffat Park as well as within Moffat Park. You know, affordable housing, I think we're very clear on, council's very clear on wanting more affordable housing. I do think open space and ecology are tied very close to climate adaptation. I think dedicating a certain amount of land uh, to make sure that that we have enough riparian wilderness to the north part. And then, you know, in dealing in continual dealings with the Army Corps Valley Water, prioritizing that is for the overall benefit. And I think if we're talking, and, and I look at that slightly different of more EV chargers versus sea level rise. To me, the sea level rise issue is something for retail for housing for office space and is critical in the long term 
viability of this zone, preventing the hundred year flood and all of that, all this is critical. So to me, that go that is moved to a tier one priority. Yeah, I consider that there's certain tier two climate adaptation and and I'm not sure how staff would break that down, but but I do think the the maintaining the viability in microgrid maybe goes into tier one, but but I do think uh, making sure that that sea level rise is a critical focus for what we're doing here. I've heard from many residents that that's one of their long-term worries. And, you know, the setting aside land helps, but it's making sure that conceivably any basement, any, any land, and I think I've mentioned this in a previous workshop, any land that's dug up is immediately dedicated to some sort of sea level rise barrier. You know, the, there's things of that nature of making sure, you know, that's one of the biggest things of looking at phase one of the Army Corps' efforts right now, that they assumed that the fill dirt was free and that's not viable in today's market. And so conceivably that is a benefit that, that if you're going to go underground at all, any dirt that you take up goes towards this community benefit and we'll haul it away for free, but, but making sure that that's part of that park is, is important in my mind. Um, the school concept, I put between tier one and tier two. I don't think, you know, and, and as we're looking at dedicating that land, I also say that just in hearing from Fremont Union High School District, hearing from Sunnyvale School District, the creation of a new school is a long-term process. So, so from my standpoint, if it's dedicated land, it's dedicated land for open space with some viability that at some future date, that might become a school. If, and I do think that there's a distinction between those. We don't want a piece of land to sit there for five years, 10 years, while they look at funding for a potential school, as they look at other opportunities, wanting to make sure that if there's dedicated land, it's at least upgraded to some degree. So I, I do think that's an important concept as much as we look at school land and whether or not that's an elementary school, middle school, high school, whether or not it's combined, you know, there's lots of opportunity in, in different ways there. But I do think that that it's making sure that it's tied to that open space concept and whether or not it ultimately becomes school land is separate. Uh, and as far as retail, we talked a little bit about retail, making sure that it is affordable, you know, you know, it's that anchor store, but it's also making sure that that it becomes a viable location and whether or not there's benefits, whether or not that's a community benefit that, that you know, it's, to me, that's a tier two, tier three thing, but it is important to make sure that Moffitt Park is successful from a walkable community standpoint. So I think that hits tier one, tier two, tier three. Um, so I think the community benefits are pretty much in the correct tiers. I don't think that there's additional items other than kind of splitting out some of the some of those items. And the five-year review, I, I totally agree with Trudy. You know, it will take five years um, to get to any reasonable point. Having intermediate updates on just what's being knocked off the list or, you know, where are we towards building this bridge across this location or that, you know, ours, is there additional funding that's needed? Because once we put it as part of the plan, it's not just the localized, you know, community benefits, but 
what the more global state federal funding for these same community benefits, which will make them viable because I'm not sure if, if on the back of the businesses, the developers and the city, we can implement all these things. And I, I know that that's not truly viable without additional support. So, so to me, I think that's, that's an important process. But overall, you know, staff has done a fantastic job as far as this draft is concerned. I look forward to how you coalesce all of council members' comments into, into <laughs> a final plan. But I think, you know, in general, we're in agreement on a lot of this. And, and I think, you know, what, this has captured a lot of what we'd like to see to make this a viable location, to make this an echo district that is walkable, that, that basically attracts new business, whether or not that's retail or office space and making sure that Moffitt Park is a viable location for those living there as well as an attractive location for those coming into the city, into that into our city or into that area. I think that's all the comments from council. Anything else that staff any other comments from staff? Next steps. Yeah, we have um next steps are to compile not only council's comments, but comments we get from the public on both the plan and the draft EIR. And right now the last date for the EIR is February 10th, 5 p.m. Um, and then they're on the project website and then on the city's website, there's a large list of, of public meetings that are coming forward in March in which um, we'll be hearing specific comments on the plan from various groups and then the public again, and then with the intention of coming back to the council and the second meeting in April. Yeah, so it's <laughs> happening. So that's the next steps. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. We're looking forward to all those meetings. I, I encourage the public to reach out and, and continue to reach out to council, reach out to staff, and of course, attend those meetings to give your input. And I'll just, just one other thing. I just want to um, note that there's been so much community input and uh, input from other departments, which has been really great. And I expect that uh, when we come to council, we'll be providing you um, with, uh, you know, with uh, tweaks to the plan in response to those comments. So it's going to be a really engaging, um, you know, time in the plan. We're excited to see the next level sort of thing. And thank you to all the uh, consultant team that's here tonight. Thank you very much. And council's just as excited to see this come to conclusion. So thank you for that. With that, we will move to adjournment. We will adjourn the meeting at 8.50 p.m. Thanks for everyone who participated. Good night.